No, I couldn't believe it when the bartender told me who you are. Who the hell am I, Captain Pike? Your father's son. Can I get another one? For my dissertation, I was assigned to USS Kelvin. Something I admired about your dad. He didn't believe in no-win scenarios. <laughs> sure learned his lesson. Well, it depends on how you define winning. You're here, aren't you? Thanks. You know, that instinct to leap without looking, that was his nature, too. And in my opinion, some Starfleet's lost. Why are you talking to me, man? Because I looked up your file while you were drooling on the floor. Your aptitude tests are off the charts, so what is it? You like being the only genius-level repeat offender in the Midwest? Maybe I love it. So your dad dies, you can settle for a less than ordinary life. Or do you feel like you were meant for something better? Something special. Do you expect me to talk? episode 55 of do you expect us to talk i'm your host becca and joining me are always are chris dave and special guest charlie from films on wax how are you i'm okay i'm wearing sunglasses with a lens flare <laughs> Just <being quiet. laughs> i was tempted to like run around my flat shouting everything for this podcast. <laughs> um i'm fine though anyway charlie how are you <laughs> I'm, I'm very good thank you i'm uh, looking looking forward to this but wait, as if you hadn't guessed, we are discussing the, I don't know what to call it, Star Trek? Yeah. Star Trek 2009, was it 2009 reboot, simply entitled Star Trek. Star Trek colon lens flare. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call it lens flare. Star Trek! <laughs> Sing around shouting all the time. We've got a I new girl. Edward Snowden! <laughs> and Ted Danson falling off his chair. Directed by J.K. Abrams. J.K. Adams. J.K. Adams. J.K. Rowling. <laughs> and Alec Kurtz. What could he be? Alec Curtains or something like that? <laughs> yeah. Script right, right in his kind of beef curtains. <laughs> <laughs> so who's in this film, Becca? <laughs> I'm not going to try and mispronounce all these names. You're not going to try and mispronounce. No, I'm going to try and do it properly. So, had you been more in the mood, you would have said starring Crow's Poon. Crow's <laughs> Poon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right, hush up, you want Becca's working. <laughs> no, um, starring Chris Pine, Jack Kunte, Zoe Saldana, Simon Pegg, John Cho, Anton Yorkson, oh, very sad, Carl Urban, Bruce Greenwood, Eric Banner, if you can spot him, Chris Hemsworth, and Renona Ryder. The score by Michael Giacchino, who is very lovely. Script by everybody what's his name I can't pronounce. Alex Kirkman and directed by JJ what's his face? Lensler. JJ Lensler Abrams. I think we'll just call this movie Lensler because oh, I know it gets so much more worse in the next film, but it's just like, oh my god. Anyway, what did we think to this two thousand and nine reboot? Uh okay, I'll go first. Um does so I mean I remember walking out of this film back in 2009 and really, really buzzing. Really, I 
I generally loved it. I had a great time with it. Um, and I still do think it's really entertaining. It's funny watching this now in context of watching the other Star Trek films and talking to you guys. I can kind of spot the reasons why it would naff off Star Trek fans or why it didn't work so well. I can actually see some stupid things that the plot actually has. So I, I, while I don't think it's a brilliant film, it's still very, very watchable. Um, guys, what do you think? I would have to be, I think, quite the yeah, quite the miser to really slaughter this film. I mean, from as we go through it, it's it's not very clever, and it, it it's badly written in places. It suffers from a very very minor case of the same thing as Quantum of Solace in that they shot it during a writer's strike, but it was a lot further on. Even though it was released after Quantum of Solace, it was it was in production first. Yeah. It's a so, release date was pushed back. It was, uh, wasn't it? It's going it to be was le- going to be the it, autumn of 08. I think it was, it was uh, Christmas. The summer. It was Christmas, oh. wasn't it? And then it got released in the summer. Actually, I take it back, Chris. I think you're right. It was going to be the summer. Yeah, it was going to be May, wasn't it? Uh, oh, was sorry. it? Right, the first time. No, no, I think you're right, Chris. I think it was going to be around Christmas, and it ended up in May of 09. Hmm. Uh, whatever the case, um, with the amount of post-production on a, on a sci-fi film relative to Bond, it was shot ahead of films such as uh, Revenge of the Fallen and Quantum of Solace, where we can look at them and say, yeah, we understand what happened there. So I think the end result would have been very similar, but there were a couple of bits as I watched it that I was like, yeah, I think they might have, even these writers would have tidied that up on another pass. Um, I think there's a lot of almost snobbery towards this film because Star Trek is not meant to be dumb and this film is regarded as flashy and effects and all that cg and i'm like well there's nothing actually wrong in principle with throwing a bit of money at it as we get to some of the sequels and and the money starts to sort of drop away a bit i i am concerned at how much they spend on them now but it was nice as a one-off to see a real sort of gold class version of a Star Trek film with proper money spent on it. And the CG is flawless in this film. The makeup is excellent. The character choices, sorry, the casting choices are largely excellent. I've got a couple of issues, but they're relatively minor. I've got some issues with the design, um, but again, it's bold. And, And the thing with it is as well, that reboots tend to be quite cynical exercises. Um, and this is as well. I mean, they've, they've got a, lo- a guy along who wasn't initially a Star Trek fan. I do believe J.J. Abrams, that you know, he, he sort of discovered it in the making of it and watched it and all the rest of it. But this film has plenty of heart for, for all the cynicism of a reboot. And I actually think there was a case for a reboot at the time. I think that case is shakier now. And I think, in hindsight, this universe is, is on slightly less sound ground than it was back in 2009 and it and it's pissed away some of its goodwill since but i think in summary it's a dumb film but it's remarkably fun i walked out of it with a big smile on my face it's extremely well made it's badly written but it's extremely well made the music's excellent the performances are excellent i have to be very very positive about this despite the fact i'll probably take the piss all the way through <laughs> yeah i'm the same I, 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 the score is really really good uh, and i do think generally the idea of making it a, like it's almost like a, a different timeline is 
is kind of inspired because you can kind of go, you can freeze you up to do whatever you want, and you get and you can kind of sort of say to fans, well, you, well, you know what, this is slightly different. So you still got your, your original timeline, your original Star Trek that you like. If you don't like this, fine. But it, there, there's there's some sort of degree of separation there. You can you kind of go, like, okay, we can do things a bit differently. We can, and it it kind of doesn't and piss you off. Piss that away. But that's not relevant yeah. when discussing this film because no one knew what was going to come four yeah. years later. Just before I hand over to Charlie, I do want to make one point to people who are listening who thought who thought this was an outrage that they even did this. Uh, I remember watching an interview with Ronald D. Moore. Ronald D. Moore is obviously the uh, Battlestar Galactica reboot guy. But he was also a writer all the way through the next generation. He did a bit for Deep Space Nine, I think, although he did Voyager as well. Um, and he wrote a lot of the Klingon episodes. We've talked about him in previous episodes. But he said about this film, or, or the concept of this film, he said that he said, I've been arguing for years for them to reboot this. He said, because it was becoming Star Trek was becoming inaccessible. It's all right for people like me and Charlie who've watched most of it. We just sling it on and enjoy it. But they 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 sit in the writer's room and, and come up with an idea. And then they'd had endless conversations about whether it sort of contradicted something in episode 25 or something like that. And then they had these arbitrary rules like warp 10 is, is like the limit for the universe. So you got ships that were like warp 9.9999995, you know, <laughs> and, it, and it was getting really silly. And, and I do think, and he also made the point, what if someone came along for season six of deep space nine you put on the tv it's the premiere of season six of deep space nine it's not that accessible to newcomers and whilst there are plenty of episodes you can sort of tune in and enjoy it was preaching to the converted a little bit and this film has a great deal less techno babble it has you know going to warp is good enough does it matter if it's warp 2 warp 8 warp 9.6 warp 9.9 it got a little bit inaccessible. So I think there was definitely a case. And as I say, Ronald D. Moore said, you know, go back to the five-year mission, tell it again. Well, I'm not sure I agree with that. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't want a remake per se, Um, but for all the flaws of what they do here, the idea of like, let's reset and start again, isn't necessarily a bad one. It's been a little bit undermined. What's come since both on the big screen and also the small screen, because Discovery is about to come along. It's going to be set in the original Prime timeline, um, which we can explain as we get into this film. If it turns out to be terrific, this this sort of franchise is almost going to be out on a limb as this like strange thing in a different continuity. But yeah, there's a definite case for this. We can argue about the detail as we go through. Charlie? I agree that it certainly needed... Um, refreshing. Um, I just want to say, I, I think, I don't, I don't think the uh, the deep the deep space nine comp, the point that he made, um, I think is is a little um, rash considering it'd be the same that what what if it had come through at season three or four of Battlestar Galactica, you'd be in the same position because it's it's a show with an arc. Well, that's one story. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Charlie. Um, and I th- and I think that's yeah. where deep space nine. It was different to every other Star Trek, but I agree that Star Trek had been inaccessible for years and years and years. But it had a lot of lore, didn't it? And I, I oh yeah, absolutely. I don't mean Data's brother, um, um, but it, it, it wasn't necessarily. It wasn't. 
I always got the impression, and I think Nemesis is an example of this, I don't think it speaks beyond its core audience. No. Um, I remember this is the episode of The Simpsons where, um, where Homer Simpson nearly has an affair with uh, the girl with Michelle Pfeiffer's voice. And yeah. um, Bart Simpson has to go to the doctor and he gets these thick rim glasses and um, they put some um, lice stuff in his hair. And they put something in his mouth. And, his voice so he goes, <laughs> and he gets he gets harassed for being a nerd and he gets pulled in by Martin into the secret nerd haven. And one of the Did things that's happening in that nerd haven where they're hiding from everyone else, someone is building a model of the Starship Enterprise. Yeah. <laughs> and that kind of sums up how Star Trek has kind of felt for me for such a long time. In terms of this film, it's a lot of fun, but it's incredibly dumb. And every time it does something to make me think, oh, that was really good, it does something to make me think, what the fuck? Mm. Sorry, Logan. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll beep that out. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah, just in case Logan subscribes. <laughs> I'm a bit shocked by his response. Oh, dear. Um yeah, I mean, I watch. I watch. Listeners, Logan is eight years old. It's Charlie's yeah, son. Yeah, Logan is my eight-year-old son, and, and I apologise. He's for a her. big fan of. Do you expect us to talk? Providing the language doesn't get too salty. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, I rewatched it on on Sunday, and um, I enjoyed it for the most part. And but the the, kind of, the same things that bugged me before were still still bugged me. Um, it's incredibly incredibly stupid. Um, and I think the, the, the thing about, and this thing, while J.J. Abrams was not a Star Trek fan, and hit to the point where he lied when he was doing promotion about not being a Star Trek fan, um, and I admit that afterwards, but <laughs> or, I don't know about Kurtzman, but Orky was a bigger Star Trek yes, fan. Yes, very um, much. But there's a lot of this just, just doesn't feel incredibly star trek in in a lot of ways and again it, it feels like a kind of more much more of a spiritual remake to star wars to the point where the, there's like a couple of shots that really kind of feel like they are really aping star wars and my other point is i just find kirk and spot quite unlikable characters and um quite all the way through the film and i understand they're going through emotional changes and all this stuff's happening but i still there's there's kind of by the end of it, they're still kind of fairly unlikable to me, and that's kind of like what really kind of hurts it for me. Um, yeah, the music's very good. It's really well conceived. The whole thing, um, like the the opening, that opening shot where it's you've got the thing upside down and kind of yeah. stuff like that, which is a really nice disconcerting way to open it. Because you never see that in the TV show that the Enterprise <laughs> goes to rendezvous with something and it comes in at like yeah, you know, one hundred and thirty five <laughs> degrees and upside down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was a real interesting approach um, to, to the to what something that we'd seen so much before. So yeah, it's, it's an in, enjoyable film, and um, but uh, yeah, there's there's still certain things that bug me in there. Um, that I think yeah, probably could have been looked at um, with a uh, another kind of more passes on the uh, on the screenplay. Yeah, I want to. I do want to get onto casting in a minute, but um, first of all. Um, Becca, this is a film you knew a bit better than some of the ones we've just gone through. Yes. Um, um, overall, I enjoyed it. I agree largely with what um, David Holly have to say. Um, I must 
admit. Well, that's understandable. We're fucking wise. Exactly. <laughs> well, no, it's just that being being sort of a Star Trek fan, it was kind of like in the nineties and everything as well. It was a bit uncool um, and not as kind of you know trendy as it is now to kind of be a geek, as it were, as you said with this with the Simpsons episode there. Once I um, started watching it, all the supermodels fucking deserted me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not a big sort of a fan of. Well, as I say, I'm literally I'm going to be a massive hypocrite in this episode, I'm sure. Um, Jerry kind of well, it's not really a remake as such, but. It's, reboot is kind of like a loaded term anyway um but anyway um semantics aside i know I, I really enjoyed it as so it's rip-roaring action movie um like self charlie i'm not a massive fan of like kirk and spot by the stage but obviously they they go on a journey together don't they um but yeah i think some, some of the casting is quite interesting um love massive fan of simon Pegg. i think he's just amazing he's hilarious he can do whatever he wants as far as i'm concerned but no, i really you know for all its flaws i really enjoyed it Anyway, you want to tell us about the casting? Well, no, you raise an interesting point there, Becca, because as I say, I want—I just wanted to come on to casting because we've had, not reimaginings, but we've had a reset of the Star Trek films in the past because we've gone original crew to next generation crew, but we were very familiar. This is the first time we've had a complete reset of all of the creative team and the on-screen talent with the exception of Leonard Nimoy. What did we make of the casting decisions just in general? I guess for, like, for Chris Pine, this is kind of like a different role for him because he's kind of well, he's this, sort of like a romantic his, lead, wasn't he? I this think was, this was his big um, thing. This was his big uh, role, really, wasn't it? This was what it brought him into like more of the mainstream um, spectrum of things, wasn't it? Because I don't think he was a well, he wasn't a household name when he before he was in this. No, he's more kind At of like sort of opposite Lindsay Lohan and those sort of films and um, sort of more like a rom-com lead yeah. rather than like an action lead, for example. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I think there was talks about Matt Damon possibly being cast as Kirk. I saw that. Um, yeah, and then he was too old. But I think Zachary Quinto as well, he was kind of mainly known for, like, was it Heroes, I think, at that sort of time mm. on um, on TV. But yeah, I think I think he was popular from that any from that anyway, and but yeah. kind of looking looking like the right the right fit as well. Just kind of like, well, it's a no no brainer really. Just give him the role. Um, I, <laughs> I I enjoy I enjoy um, Chris Pine, uh, though it's funny uh, after taking on board what Dave said uh, a few weeks ago about Chris Hemsworth possibly being a better Kirk, and. I, I got to admit, he does look more like the part. I like, I, like Chris Hemsworth at the beginning of this film. You do, you do think he he looks almost more like Shatner than Chris Pine does, and you think, oh, maybe he should have gone there. <laughs> you know, I'd be inter- I would be interested to see what um, uh, Chris Hemsworth would have done. But, well, well, just on just on the subject of sort of Kirk and Spock, then we can talk about the, the supporting cast afterwards. Um, I was happy enough with Zachary Quinto. No, no one is going to play it like Leonard Nimoy. Lots of people have tried to play Klingon, uh, Klingons. I keep doing that. Vulcans uh, <laughs> over the years. Lots Sorry. of people have tried to play Klingons, by but, the way. Vulcans uh, over the years. And they've really... Yeah, they've years, over the years, yeah. Um, That's there. But he's got a new take on it. He plays it with a sort of va- thinly veiled... He plays it like wretch. a dick. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can argue with that, but the fact is that, that, that Leonard Nimoy always said that he didn't play it with no emotion, yeah. he played it with suppressed emotion, yeah. and that is what Zachary Quinto is doing. Yeah. Yes, he is a bit of a dick, but he's there to sort of cock-block Kirk most of the way through the film, so it's kind of understandable. So there are a couple of scenes where he really looks like him. The bit where he beams, beams down to Vulcan in a sort of crouching position, as he comes out of the beam, that looks like Leonard Nimoy. It's unbelievable. My problem with Chris Pine is quite simply that 
in both of these films, I, I don't know if it's a coincidence, but they seem to like have to try to contrive to keep him out of the chair because there is nothing captain like about him in any way. And it was only in beyond. And I can tell you the exact scene It's the scene where the Franklin is taking off and he sat in the chair. And I thought you are now the captain. And even though he looks very little in any way different or aged compared to this film, I just thought he's so lightweight and they, they do everything to keep him out of the chair. And part of Star Trek for me is the captain in the chair on his bridge. So it pisses me off when they don't show a lot of that. Yeah. But that's what I think of the main two. I think it's kind of because obviously he's, he's going to be in that role eventually, isn't it? So you kind of think, hmm, okay. I think yeah. it's just all the kind of, you know, you know where he's meant to be, what he's meant to do. And yeah. It's just a silly contrivance. Yeah, to counter that argument, I mean, you would say the whole point for most of the film is 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 getting when is Kirk going to be in that chair and there is that moment exactly, where exactly. he, he finally gets the chair it's like you're the chair and he kind of slowly sits in it and it's like almost looks kind of like oh shit I'm in the chair now <laughs> yeah. um, and he, but he kind of has that kind of, almost like kind of cocky swagger kind of like he almost sits like Kirk but and then, and then you have to like end the film somehow so who looks at him in, in universe and goes yeah he's a captain I, I don't see anything in the performance, anything in this character that screams, we need him as a captain. Certainly not yet. Yeah, no, I'd agree. And, and oh, I'd say, really, it's the, the characterization is, is kind of driving that performance. And it, it's really kind of terrible. And I mean, obviously, it's it's whole alternate parallel timeline or what have you in terms of um, Kirk. And it's sort of like, we we don't expect it to be Shatner though, do we? No, but it feels like it feels like they've taken they've gone with the Captain Kirk that is based on how people think about the character versus what the character was really like. But, and this, the thing, and what they've done to that to make, and this is where it kind of get this is where it kind of gets me a bit in terms of where we start talking about the uh, the the reboot and and what it's changed is uh, where. With Abrams, it's it needs to be hip, and I hate that term, but I think that's an appropriate term. Um, and like you've said before, Dave, and like many people have said, when when the original Kirk was at the academy, he was a bookworm, and they very specifically make a joke about it being a joke that he was good that he said he was going to study, and then cutting next to him about to shag some green the, that green girl it's almost like yeah like he would study yeah exactly study in and, inverted commas yeah and bones makes a joke of it it, 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 says, it says she says yeah right and <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's that kind of cook that i don't particularly like he, he's also a little bit like uh you know i i, I guess it's that bit when uh, we'll get to the joke and bar fight as well but you know when, when he got he's like sort of he accidentally puts his hands on uh Yuhura's boobs and then looks go you know and, <laughs> I, you know, I, yes. I, I don't think kirk would ever do that I mean, I, but I, yeah it's, it's kind of like yeah it's, it's his reputation is he's, he's a ladies man he's always hitting on on chicks i i've and, never seen i i've never seen kirk i've got to be very careful how i express this um I, I've never seen Kirk as like a pussy hound. I've almost seen no. Kirk, I've always seen Kirk much more as almost 
thin-skinned isn't the right term for it. Maybe Charlie can express this better than me, but I've always seen Kirk as almost like too feeling. Yeah, he'll go down to a planet and he'll get so involved in whatever it is that he'll feel really outraged about what's going on there, or really um, it up for the plight of the people there, or really start falling for the woman there. It's not yeah. so much that he just can't get enough; it's more that he's just so deeply he, yeah. empathetic. Yeah. He's just not looking for a shag. He's just like you know, he just gets involved a lot. Yeah, then mirror it through the prism of 1960s TV mm-hmm. and, you know, the the square-jawed hero that you've got to watch him have. I mean, I've, I've often said there's too many fistfights in the original Star Trek. I stand by that. There's fistfights and kissing because he's got to be this lantern-jawed hero. But Kirk as a character is not constantly women, women, women. No, no, absolutely. And it's kind of, again, that that's why... The, uh, Spock and McCoy as the the two um, um, consciences on the shoulder were always needed, which is something that again is is not. I don't feel has really been addressed in these in these new new films. The ne- the necessity of those three as a complete triangle. We've not had the three of them in a room. The first two films were all Spock and Kirk. And we yeah. get and we get McCoy and Kirk and McCoy and Spock in, Spock. in Beyond. Yeah, don't get the three of them and we're missing it. Mm. And and you hear Abrams talking about it was always about Spock and Kirk to me. And I'm thinking, yeah, you're right, but you've missed one third. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and um, and it kind of comes to a head with the Kobayashi Maru scene, which yeah. obviously we'll we'll get to. The and and again, it's just like it's it's terribly written for a start, but. It just presents a character that I really don't like, and I and I, I watch this scene thinking, "What am I supposed to be thinking about this character?" And the thing is, and again, which is how how um, the the thing with not liking Spock as well, because in the next scene where you have Kirk versus Spock in their little um, argument in the when Kirk's accused, um, which again is handled really badly. Yes. But Spock in that scene as well seems like it's again comes over as a complete dick, especially when he talks about his dad. Yeah, I think that's the scene I was referring and it's to. Like, it. It's like, yeah, it's, it's a bit like, too smug, a little bit too like, oh, well, you know, you know, but it's yeah, like, and it's like, it's like the only way the 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 Abrams and whatever thinks that we can really get behind these characters is to have another character um, say horrible things to them yeah. or do horrible things to them. When I, I don't know if this I don't know if this is out of my own head or out of an article I read, because everyone raved about Bones, but I had in my head Gary Sinise, and I think Gary Sinise would have been a fucking perfect Bones. Yeah, I think I it would think, be a bit old though for this cast, though, wouldn't you think? Well, Gary Sinise is quite. Uh, sorry, Bones is about fifteen years older than most of them. Is he? All right. Ten, ten to fifteen years, yeah. anyway. Bear in mind, uh, he was born at about twenty, and I think. Nimoy and Shatner are born in 31. And then Uhura and a couple of others are even later than that. Um, I think he's good. I don't think... I, I actually think of the three of them, even though he's got the less, the least recognisable ticks, if you like, I think DeForest Kelly's the hardest one to recast. I, I really do. I it, think... it did look a bit similar. I was trying to think if you go on in terms of like likeness, maybe. 
You might have done it because because again, I mean, the the, the scene that introduces um, that introduces Urban is is again, it's a caricature. It's a caricature of what we expect Doctor McCoy to be, or and, uh, what, and and that's not where his nickname comes from. No, that, I, was that was, gonna, um, I, I cringed a little bit. That, that was ad libbed actually. Um, Carl Urban ad libbed that. And I've got no, I've got, but given almost everything has multiple takes and it's digital, I know this was shot on film actually, but most things are digital these days. So you can redo them with at minimal cost. I've got no problem with actors ad-libbing, but that's not where the term bones comes from. Where does the term bones come from? Saw bones. So yeah, saw bones. Oh, okay. Surgeon, basically saw bones, obviously back from... You know, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, but I think it's naval times with times where they did have to like amputate limbs with saws and things like that. Mm. That does sound uh, about right, actually. Yeah, it's usually. Yeah. I figured it would be Doctor Bones, you know, kind of. Yeah. Just kind, bones, saws. kind of kind of things. Um, well, generally, that's like that's kind of like a sort it, of term, it's isn't not, it? It's so. not because women constantly leave you. That's not how it works. <laughs> um, <laughs> he lost everything in his divorce. But mm. I'm okay with. I'm really? okay. I'm okay with him. I think he's all right. I think there's a little bit of. Maybe it's because I know Carl will open quite well, but he's putting on a voice that's so not him. Mm. It feels like a bit of a caricature. Um, whereas he's the character most people rave about. Whereas you look at Uhura and you think young black lady and there the similarity ends. Yeah. And I was happier with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Anton Yelchin, uh, I don't think, is actually probably the, he and Scotty to Well, he's, me, he's sort of like a reimagination of the character, though, because you think of, like, of his character, he's dead young and preppy, and but I, I think about what what uh, Chekhov was, I mean, I can only go off the film, Yeah, he's like really. the trendy sort of edition. It, it, it's, it, it's not the same guy. I mean, I like, like, like with Yuhura, I mean, again, I'm not a Star Trek fan, so I, I honestly couldn't tell you what Yuhura's character is like anyway. So, that, so, and so anything would be like, yeah, okay, if I find that's your hero. Um, but yeah, so I, I think with Chekhov, it's just uh, it was just a bit of a reimagination of the character. You know, uh, it's like, oh, what what it's got? He's Russian. Okay, let's just make him young. Okay, done. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah. I think that that's all that's left to his character really, and he's a bit like a rookie. That's really. like the actors of Russian extraction anyway. So that's mm. the same with Vasily as well. Obviously, to go from having, you know, it was obviously um, a sort of Korean American actor. Um, you know, somebody can represent like all of Asians, perhaps, or like, and that's all role. Yeah. But again, it's, it's it's a new, it's a new cast for a new generation because you, you kind of you're going to include like original elements of the original character, but this is kind of like a, a sort of fresh take on it, as it were. Um, and I think we've had well, we've got three. I don't know. Is it like reboot series? What is there a name for this group of films? The Calvin Timeline. Calvin Timeline. Thank you. Um, yeah, this is the JJ verse. Um, the JJ verse. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the Calvin timeline for sure. Um, and it's just it's a kind of a new, a new timeline for a, I was gonna say a new generation, but that sounds really yeah. cheesy. But but it is it is it is at the end of the day. Uh, next um, generation. Next generation. <laughs> this is it. Next, the, next. the next 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 generation. Oh, there were only a few that really stood out to me, and everyone raved about Bones, but I thought, well, yeah, yeah he's all right. Um, he's a few times there. I thought like, he was okay, I, I, actually, I, I, to be honest. Anton Yelchin's, you'd be with the majority, Becca, there, and I don't hate him by any means. Um, Anton Yelchin looks nothing <laughs> like, literally looks nothing like the original Chekhov. No, and also, I, yeah, I think I think he's crammed in as well, but that's the original Trek fan in me and Charlie talking, that, like, that Chekhov should just not be here at all. Um, but maybe you should have joined of, in the next one, perhaps. P- 
possibly. I don't know. But you've also got... Well, given they did 29 episodes without him, it wouldn't be that much of a stretch. No. Um, but also, I think I've always thought of Scotty as a bit of a bruiser. Mm. So Simon Pegg yeah. strikes me as really fucking odd casting. Yeah. I, I'm not I, that unhappy with him. He's all right, but that's not Scotty. Is it rough and ready? <laughs> it rem- again, it reminds me of the later Scotty when he was the comic relief in the films. Yeah. I, I don't know who's... I still don't know who that little character is. Oh, I can't remember his uh, name. He played. He's been in a lot of things, but um, he was in Lord of the Rings when they were doing like Force Perspective and stuff like that. Yeah, oh, playing Hobbits. He's called Deep Roy. Deep Roy. Oh yeah, no, the, yeah, that, yeah. The actor's brilliant. He's been in quite a lot of different things, but in Star terms Wars, of the character, yeah, he was. He was. I think he, he, I think he might have played um, like Little board. Ghibli. Yeah, I think he did as well. That rings a bell. Mm. Yeah, no, no, I mean, it would have been either him or Vern Troyer, yes. wouldn't it? So. But just in, in terms of like, Simon Pegg's performance, I think he's kind of... Yeah, he's more... In, in the film, certainly, he's more the, the comic relief. Um, I actually quite like his scenes in this, and I don't mind... No, it's, it's, it's really funny. To, but yeah, uh, okay, so that's the cast. Any other thoughts on them before we... I just want... Yeah, um, um, in terms of um, Anton Yelchin... Um, it, it's it's again it's it's less him than the script, but the the necessity to immediately go in with the with the Russian accent, Jake, and then yeah. you have Christopher Pike there saying give, give him copper or chili or whatever your name is. Well, it's <laughs> just been really disrespectful, and, and re- you wouldn't do that as a captain with a. Well, you wouldn't do that in any job, even in this no, age. I really got under my skin. Stuff. I really got under my skin. Yeah. And yeah, also, I thought, I thought that was, that was a bit I don't mean. Think I was that's like, hmm. being pretty. I don't think that's even being politically correct. I think you, it's just us looking at it and going, "Yeah, it doesn't ring true." But I think Uhura is um, one of the uh, while while they try to cram her into the action sequences in the later films, maybe a bit too much. Um, I think is she's one of the bright spots because it's like there's the scene where he goes, "Do you speak Romulan?" And she's says all three dialects and then you remember the undiscovered country where they're all there with that like book and she didn't know <laughs> yeah trying to trying to trying to trying to do pigeon klingon and it's no, just that's like it. that's what that character should be well that's it's the same with bond that. isn't it it's like having a you know first in oriental languages and then into my never dies maybe you type you know you can't read chinese on the keyboard it's like <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know you're trying to kind of was it not like kind of you know I know it's an inappropriate thing. But it's just, but, like, just trying to stretch, you know, any stretch of the imagination. It's just like I think the problem. I think I have to say on that though that this is the essential tension in this film that I'm trying to take it for what it is. I'm trying to understand the reasons for rebooting. I'm trying to understand that if you don't want Nemesis, which let's remember took 67 million worldwide, which is just nowhere near enough, um, you have to appeal to a wider audience. I'm quite happy to accept that you need to do... And the, the other thing, you need to do something different. And, and I think Uhura never really, with the possible exception of the very start of the search for Spock, ever really got anything to do. So if they want to say, right, linguistics is her thing, I'm okay with that. They make quite a big deal about it as well. Yeah. All I, it's the other thing that really stands out in this film for me... Um, and I don't think you can do it because people have come to the cinema to see Kirk and Spock and all the rest of it. But Bruce Greenwood screams captain to me. Mm, absolutely. He's really good. I would, I would so loved 
to have seen the adventures of Bruce Greenwood's Enterprise. With him as the captain and maybe Spock as the first officer or whoever. And like Kirk bumbling around in the like, oh, sort of always getting into mischief. <laughs> you can't do it though. You can't do it though because you, you are rebooting a franchise. Mm. So Pike was in one episode which is effectively non-canon and then they've sort of reused that in another episode that is canon but um, I, I can see why they didn't but I would have loved it. I just think... I just think he's great in the role. I think he's really, really great. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. But anyway, should we uh, talk about this film sequentially now? Oh, that's such a cliche, Chris. I can't believe you've said that. <laughs> <laughs> let's use too much lens flare. And, uh, oh, dear. And Dutch shots. Yeah, so let's alter the timeline yeah. now. Um <laughs> We're now going to be uh, recording this five years earlier than before. <laughs> higher, higher, in higher resolution with a lot of uh, lens flare and I'm going to be played by Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> who, who would play me, oh, Dave? Right. Who would you cast as me? Who would play... Yeah, let's all cast each other. Liam Gallagher. <laughs> <laughs> Is that just because I'm from Manchester? <laughs> Yeah, that's the first thing we could think of. Oh, okay, very well. What was I going to say? Bernard fucking Mac. <laughs> <laughs> who play Charlie? Who yeah. play Charlie? Don't be... Oh, dear. Who would play Charlie? I'm just thinking, if, we had, if we've got David Bellamy in his earlier years... <laughs> I'm well, sorry. yeah. I'm just, I'm just thinking of the beard. <laughs> <laughs> that's really weird. You'd be played by Sylvester Latuzel. You can look at it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Me... Um, yeah, Matt Damon, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> haystacks. Matt Damon, yeah, I think. Matt Damon. Okay, we, we um, cold open of the Kelvin, isn't it? Everything's going on. You kind of budge right in the middle of it, aren't you? And it's yeah. Just, it's, it's it doesn't really stop from here. Yeah, it's easy. probably the best sequence of the film, to be honest with you. It's lens flare from the start, you know, frantic camera work. Um, yeah, you just basically, you just basically see... Uh, at the introduction of a start of a, of, of starship, you, you get to meet Kirk's dad. He, he kind of introduces like, oh, th- that maybe is that Kirk, but you realise it's his dad, you know. Um, so Dave, you 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 actually liked uh, Chris Hemsworth as uh, Kirk as George Kirk? Yeah, I mean, I I'd, I'd seen. I don't think I'd seen Chris Hemsworth in anything. I mean, I I, I have a feeling things like Cabin in the Woods and Red Dawn and stuff like that might have already been shot. I think to do with MGM's yeah. bankruptcy, they may have been sat on the shelf. Whatever the truth of the matter, Chris Hemsworth at this point, he's young, He's a little bit younger than Chris Pine, so at the time of filming, he'd been about 24, 25. The first thing I noticed, I don't know if we get it here, but it's very soon we get uh, the new Stardate system, and the Stardate is effectively, in this timeline, the year. Um, and I know enough Star Trek to know this is earlier. So even before we hear George Kirk and all the rest of it, there's something in the tech, the uniforms, and the date. I'm thinking, okay, that must be his father. Yeah. But I just thought he had a real presence uh, and a real charm, and that would actually really, really, um, that really suits Kirk. That really suits the Kirk we know. You can't recast William Shatner, but if you're going to, I don't think he'd have been a bad choice. I heard Mark Wahlberg um, talking how he was actually approached to do the role, 
do that. Do like a, like a brief Fucking cameo. hell, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would have been very interesting. That would have been just bizarre. Sam and Marky Mark, just like. Jesus. Feel it, feel it. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> There's a roll on the ship. As much as I've got here. Yeah. <laughs> it's a transformer. Um, we got to get you off the ship. No. I'm, I'm staying on board, honey. I'm staying on board. What should we call him? I like George. <laughs> I love the George Kirk character. I, I love this this little bit. We've got Kirk born. I mean, the first few things I've noticed, um, firstly, the ship, they, they looked good enough to be like models, and they're not. They're CG, and it's really mm. good quality. And also, they make a big noise in the special features about animating it one-to-one. So they animate the detail of the Enterprise. And then they animate... Uh, sorry, not the Enterprise, the Kelvin. And they animate the bigger size of the Kel- of the Narada. So if it's... Let's say it's ten times as big. They will animate ten times as much as opposed to scaling it. So... And it really pays off. Um, the other thing I noticed is when um, Kirk's wife and Jim James T. Kirk's mum goes into labour, uh, the nurse treating her has oversized eyes, which is obviously mm. digitally done. And it's the first time I looked at it and thought they've spent some money on this. You know, it really actually looked a bit more expensive. Kirk has been uh, Kirk is born a week earlier in this timeline. He should be born like a week later on uh, in Iowa, but she goes into labour with the stress of it all, which is why he's born in space under fire, which I kind of like as a concept. Kirk born of fire. So now you can say, I was born in outer space, but I work in Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> um, one one thing that always is important of sequences is something. It's something that's actually done in in Rogue One, um, but it kind of was popularised by Lord of the Rings is the big emotional sequences where they cut down to just the music. Yes. And um, I don't know if it's the bit where she escapes on the shuttle, but there's one bit where it just, it just completely goes down. No, the, the sound drops out literally as she gives birth because the sound drops out and the first thing you hear is, is baby's cries. So they're still on, they're still on the, the Kelvin at that point. The Kelvin, by the way, I mentioned it in a previous episode. The Kelvin is uh, like a little Easter egg, if you like, that goes in all J.J. Abrams' films because his dad's called Kelvin. So, oh, okay. So, so there's movie. always yeah. like a Kelvin something, something called Kelvin. Yeah, when we, when we get to The Force Awakens, uh, Ray talks about Kelvin Ridge. Ridge, yeah. Um, I don't know where they are in his other films, but they would be there. Where's it Into Darkness? Is it, or was it not Into Darkness? I, don't, I honestly again. don't remember where they are. It, that's quite possible, actually. I don't know. That was for his mum, who's called Vengeance. Yeah. <laughs> his his mum's called Fuck Me, This Is Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Kelvin and Fuck Me, This Is Shit Abrams. I don't know, but that, that's what the reference is. Carries on, we'll get to it in a couple of weeks' time when we get to Beyond, because there's a similar <laughs> reference with that. Dialogue. Yeah, her mum was called Magic Blood. Yeah. <laughs> so, I... After the scene, which I think, yeah, it's, it's a really good scene. I think we, we get basically two introduction scenes of Spock and Kurt when they're kids. Now, I don't know how you guys feel, but I think these scenes complete are complete pointless, add nothing to the film, and are just there to kind of like, just to, just to, just sort of bridge a gap. It was nearly worse. Sorry? Just, they just... Fi- it was nearly worse. They, they filmed every fucking thing. They filmed Kurt, they filmed Spock as a baby. 
they filmed Kirk as a baby. You know, they, they intercut an awful lot more than this at one point. Yeah, so they had like, more planned to sort of do it. Which is why they Yeah, so had more planned for it. So I think they had more ideas, but they just went, oh, no, we use what we got. I think it's more the fact that it, it, it strikes me as, as you, go, as you go through the deleted scene, Chris, it looks like they've just filmed everything, ready to pick and choose. Mm. So I, I'm not going to blame them for filming it. They gave themselves choices more than almost any other set of deleted scenes I've ever seen. It's not like, oh, that was a stupid idea. Yeah. It was just they, they filmed everything that they, they might film and then gave themselves choices. Even when we get to the Kobayashi Maru, there's a little bit of more detail that they cut out. And we'll get to it a little bit later on. But they were going to parallel Spock and Kirk a lot more through the childhood, which is why you've got Winona Ryder playing presumably a 50, 60 something when she's actually in her late 30s at the time. Yeah, there's not much of an age gap there, is there? Yeah, but obviously we were meant to see her younger. Yeah, exactly. So why did they use it then? Because I don't, I don't think it, it adds anything to the to the film. If they should have just like, oh, I just cut it out completely. I, I I think they should have just cut from straight from the. Um, the 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 Kelvin getting destroyed, you know, and and like you know that that kind of like sort of silent kind of sort of so visual of like of like the ships um sort of flying away away from like the um, the Romans, and then straight to the bar basically, you know, where Hero starts walking in because we we aren't only really told anything that we really need to know, or we don't get told beyond that point anyway, you know. It's only it's only really like oh, Spot's gonna go to. Um, Vulcan, uh, the Federation, really. That that's the only that's the only information we are, we are actually told. I think it's their uh, shorthand to show us the essential um, dichotomy in Spock of his half human, half um, uh, Vulcan side. I need to say Klingon again, um, <laughs> and the fact that it's almost seen as a fucking disability. Yeah, he's bullied over it, but. Would would Vulcans be like that though? What do you mean, bully? Like, well, they kind of like they kind of bits. Even the Vulcans themselves, like, well, you're you're disadvantaged. You're human side. You know, you're sort of, you know. I say, like, would Vulcans? I mean, I, I'm not a Star Trek fan, so I, I could be wrong. But my takeaway is, I don't think Vulcans would be like that. You know, watch watch this now. I thought, okay, that's not very Vulcan like. I don't think they would be sniffy. You know, they would. They would sort of be logical, like, oh, that's more fascinating. You are, you are half, you are half human, half Vulcan. Oh, that's interesting. Rather than kind of like, well, you know, you know, you had an uphill battle, you know, you, you know, you, you disadvantage really being half human. <clears throat> I mean, what do you guys think? Do you... never had a problem with it? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I just what, I, I what... never had a problem with it because it's not, it, it's not put across as kind of nasty. They're actually trying to pay him a fucking compliment. Yeah, I, I it just it's felt uh, more of a backhanded compliment, really. But I think it kind of was, but yeah, I, I don't. I suppose with with logic, you almost possibly lose a nuance of how what you say might affect people, because what you're saying is perfectly logical. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Charlie? It kind of came across a bit weird, but I don't know. It's just kind of. Yeah, I kind I kind of had that that feeling that they're they really going to be kind of really going like that. But then, kind of the the, the Vulcans always did have kind of like a superior kind of superiority complex anyway. So maybe that's that's kind of 
these scenes are kind of. Would you have Vulcan bullies as like you know young young kids like basically be bullies? I don't know. Plus, he is, he is kind of like he's a little bit different, isn't he? So obviously, yeah. when it 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 it, 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 it is more of a, it is more of a question raising up something that is possibly problematic for you know for what that is. Yeah, no, I wondered the same. I thought it was a bit of an odd concept. I mean, the Sorry Kirk thing I think is just there. It's one of the very few sops in this film, I think, to explain to people like me and Charlie why Kirk ends up as a different person. Mm. Because Kirk is... Um, Kirk was, in the original timeline, quite close to his father. He was brought up in a stable household. In this timeline, his father dies, and yeah. he's brought up with what we're strongly implied is an so abusive broken home, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, it's one of the few deleted scenes I wish they'd left in, actually. There's a little bit more on the start of that car bit where you see, because you see his brother walking along the road mm. um, in the end result, and, and he's actually kind of leaving home because he's just being treated like shit. And they actually outright say, Mom doesn't know what this guy's like when she's not here. And that's why he's more of a troubled kid. He doesn't have that stabilized, stable home. Yeah. I was about to say stabilizing father influence. I didn't mean that because I'm sure perfectly, there are perfectly stable people without fathers around. Yeah. But he's in an abusive household. It, it just comes across as like, yeah, he's just stole a car and he just decides to just drive it off a cliff. You know, that's like you know, it's like okay, well, fine. So he's so he's got like a. I don't like the scene much. A, a, a record. Yeah, so that's how it plays in the film. I just think we probably. I don't, it's for the purpose of the film, I'd probably better just like cut them out because I don't think it tells us any information that we won't already know from watching the the characters in the film anyway. You know, we we will probably find out or assume uh, Kirk Kirk had a troubled childhood cause, from a, from death of his father. You know, would we, we you know, and we don't really okay. Well, we we know about about Spock being like having been half human and and he joined the academy. You know, sorry, joined the Federation. So, I don't think we we're told anything we meet, we really need to know why these scenes here are just there for the sake of it. As far as I'm concerned, it's you know it's it's, it's just always a little thing that, that I would I would argue. I, I don't have any real strong feelings yeah. on it. But anyway, yeah, I, I was just I was just asking uh, a thing for Charlie to uh, go. Um, yeah, so Charlie, would would there be um, would 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 uh, would they have child Vulcans? Uh, would they be bullies or would they? Or is, would that be a, the, a normal thing in star, in regular Star Trek universe? Or I don't know, because the colonar is supposed to purge all emotion. Does that I mean that, that Vulcans are born with emotions still? Do they have emotions? Mm. Is is because I I don't I'm not I've never been that that into in knowledge where to go that deep. Yeah. So in yeah, so it may be that they. They just show me do with that kind of thing. Yeah, I hurt, I hate the the cook scene. I always have. It's just just always just come across as just absolutely cringeworthy, and right down to the, the Nokia theme tune on the phone. Um, and um, I don't know. It's, it's just kind of you can you can see where they're going. Like you said, with the abusive. Foot I see why it's there. I don't like. Yeah, and the, and the, and with the Spock with his kind of trying to fuel his kind of emotions and his kind of reconciliation of his human emotions versus his Vulcan nature but I don't think they work particularly well and I don't think they kind of do the film any service by being in Yeah, I think I'd go along with that Yeah, I would agree as well Does that make sense? 
So, uh, we go straight from the bar scene, don't we? We just cut to Yahura's yeah. ass walking into a bar. Um, <laughs> yeah, that bit was guest directed by Michael Bay, wasn't it? Yeah, probably. Oh, God. Yeah, straight up to the uh, where she, she orders a Budweiser direct from the Enterprise's engine room. So, so they do have beer <laughs> in this universe. <laughs> I'm, I, I, get, I get thinking of like Kirk in uh, The Voyage Home, where he's like, what's this beer? What the... That's yeah. never be clear because they do drink in that timeline yeah. in, in that era. So God only knows. This but, is a different uh, timeline, isn't it? It's kind of so and yeah, anything goes pretty much. Yeah, but the, surely the Kelvin being blown up wouldn't eradicate alcohol from us. <laughs> I mean, that's. Really, I mean, Christ, we're overestimating what this fucking one ship does. Surely. Um, it just has a ripple effect on everything. I'm, I'm guessing they still don't have money, so. It's just supposed to. It's another scene. A lot of the stuff in this film feels almost a bit redundant. It's a bit filler, it's isn't like, it? Well, we, 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 well, it's more the fact that it's trying to tell us that Kirk is a waster, and it's like, well, there's plenty of places in this film we kind of figure that out. Mm. Yeah. I'm not saying you've been this scene, but I'm saying it, it's it's hammered home that he's had a bit of a shitty life and he's a twat as a result. I, th- I think it establishes his, his, um, his knack with the ladies, you know, he's obviously, with that, he's drunk, but he's, like, chatting up Yuhura, he's, you know, trying to be fl- flirty. Um, it's an introduction to Yuhura as well. Um, but, uh, what what thing that made me laugh about it was, like, how instantly Yuhura's mates just want to pick a fight with him. <laughs> just like, yeah, well, you know, we, he's, he's guy's just, like, sort of being... Being being drunken and being like a little bit like okay, but her is saying no no that's fine I, I've got it she she's confident and they go no we're gonna punch you we're gonna we we're gonna like go four five or whatever it is <laughs> we're just gonna that's flat out just true because because you got you got I mean you've got no we don't have proof that like Pike doesn't go away afterwards and give them hell yeah but it it plays a bit like it's just a bit you know rambunctious you know he walks in blows his whistle. You know, everyone calm down, and that seems to be it. And they're behaving more like squaddies than sort of yeah. um, Starfleet officers. No offense to anyone in the armed forces listening. I just mean that sort of cliche of squaddies who just want to like fight and fuck. And yeah, I, I've never been that comfortable with it. But it does end in an absolutely terrific conversation with Pike just because Brice Greenwood is so great and yeah so basically he has a conversation where basically talk, uh, basically trying to persuade him to go to Starfleet so so essentially Kirk is actually isn't enlisted in Starfleet at all he's not, he's not even no he's out on the piss yeah so it's like no you, you should you should you know you should you should do this thing you know you, you, your dad did it um, now does what's his relationship with Kurt? Is it just basically he he wrote a, a paper on his dad, so he wants to. His dissertation was on the Kelvin, so yeah. he studied by. We don't know what dissertations involve in this universe, but you would presume that he studied the backgrounds of all the crew, which means he would have studied George Kirk. He would have studied the um, history of the Kelvin and the circumstances around it being destroyed. So he will have known what George Kirk did. And we are told that he finds effectively Starfleet a bit safe. You know, that this idea of people who look before they leap, it's something that Starfleet has lost. So he sees a bit of genius within Kirk. 
um, having met him once in a bar and he's touching women up and having a fight, I'm not really convinced by that. <laughs> but yeah, he's looked him up and fair enough. Tries to sort of hammer home the point, really, doesn't it? It's a bit like too much. But Bruce Greenwood, and then, and then, he, and then he holds up the uh, the, the Calvin's official Starship Calvin salt shaker. <laughs> I know. Because, because symbolism. Like, I mean, I suppose there's there's the, there's a thing of like, okay, well, you know, uh, the Federation will make, like will make a man of you kind of thing, will like kind of like make you mature and stop all this, you know, do something with your life, you know, at least. So I suppose there's there's element of that as well. It's really difficult when you're an existing Starfleet, uh, Starfleet, Star Trek fan, in that you've kind of you don't know how far you're supposed to go in switching off what you know. So. As a casual fan or a casual viewer, I'm sure this plays fine. But we've watched season after season of people um, applying to Starfleet Academy and being turned down and going through difficult entrance exams and mm. failing them in some case. Wesley failed at the first attempt and he's supposedly a genius. And basically you've got Kirk turning up with a, a hangover to enlist. It's literally just, just hand, just, you know, just, just hand so, them out. He's enlisted as opposed to like an off. But you know, again, talking to the modern equivalent, you know, anyone listening who is in the armed forces or has been in the armed forces and isn't an officer, you didn't just turn up and like disappear on whatever transport. You had to go through something, didn't you? Mm. So I, I have a little bit of a difficulty with that. I mean, firstly, even if you're enlisted, it would be more difficult than this. But it's also the fact that at the end of this, he's supposed to be effectively an officer, a very junior officer in the normal run of things. Surely there's some kind of criteria for entry. You have to go through an emotional, retrospective motorcycle ride and stare at a ship. To, to... Yeah, yeah, the, 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 the twin sunset moments. <laughs> yeah. Moment, yeah. yeah but anyway. Looking to your own future. I, th- I, th- I think that's the problem. One, well, one of the problems is that this, this film's main objective is to fast-track him to the captain's chair as quickly as possible. Charlie, and... have you got any idea how you think you might feel about not so much him going to the captaincy because that's fucking dumb but the way he enlists here i've got a problem with but i'm pretty sure i've got a problem with it because i'm a star trek fan if i'd walked in off the street and watched this it'd be oh yeah he signed up do you think that or do you have a fundamental problem with the telling of this yeah it's just it's just it's just all just oh yeah because because Captain Pike's giving you a note, you you can come in and join and uh, and and go with everyone else. And there you go, you can you've got an immediate scholarship to stuff the academy. Why? It's just yeah, you've got, you've got to wonder what all these other cadets have done, and why they're are, are they all from Iowa? Why are they all there in the first place? Are they just people that have been collected from Iowa? Is it just they've been to see the enterprise that's being built or something like that? Huh? It all seems very kind of And also, funny. that's supposed to be like a recruits signing up thing. So why are there sort of Starfleet cadets sat on there who are already in Starfleet? I'm really confused. Yeah. But and again, then, is that just the Star Trek fan in me? Am I being too picky? Well, it just it, no, it just it just seems weird. And, it's just, and again, it's just basically Captain Picard just give Captain Picard, Captain Pike has just given him a note to say because I because. I see you think you have potential. You can just come on and, and do whatever you want. Um, and it's the, it's only happening because he has to be Captain Kirk by the end of the film. When you look at the original series, 
And again, I mean, as the non-fans, Becca and Chris, please stop us if we're being overly picky here because I'm mm. really interested in this. But when I look back at my knowledge of Star Trek, Bones' reluctance to be in Starfleet comes more from the films because he's quit, he's finished, he's gone off to go to, like, gay discos or whatever he's doing. <laughs> and he gets basically forced to come back, and, he, and he's a bit reluctant. I never got from the series that he was in any way reluctant to be in Starfleet. He was never keen of, He was never keen on being... That, that is true. He'd rather take, like, um, shuttlecrafts and things like that. But, yeah, yeah, runs past Scotty. Um, <laughs> so... When, when I see him joining up, also looking hungover to fuck for some reason, again, playing on that cliche almost of the sort of drunker bones from the films, um, everyone else is in their uniforms and ready. And him, him and Kirk look like they're there and you don't know why they're there. And, and I know he could They've just jumped on last minute, just, you know. Well, he says to him something like, well, I hate to break it to you, but Starfleet operates in space. But it's like, well, that's not good enough. What the fuck is he doing there? <laughs> Did Bones ever give us the imprint in the original series, Charlie? No, not at all. He was just—he was just always there, the dedicated captain. I mean, as I say, I mean, it's like as like a non-fan, like non I kind of didn't get that impression either. I kind of thought, I oh, know, he was just kind of, you know, serving the Starfleet, and I was like, well, I was trying to think back of, you know, and watching some of the episodes of the original series and going through the, you know, newer films. It's like, well, when when did I ever get the impression that he didn't want to join up? And I thought, yeah, I just, I didn't kind of, I didn't get that. To, it seems to come from about ten minutes of the motion picture. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'm a bit confused by that, but okay, he's reluctant, and they go off, and we cut straight to three years later. But it's just something so cliched about it. Kirk's a bad boy, so he rides a motorcycle. Yeah. You know, it's just, mm, it's not yeah, terrible. It's more of that in the. Uh, in the third film. So. And again, and as as soon as you get to three years later, the first thing you hear him say is, hello, ladies, as he's walking off with bones. Yeah, it's just basically, you can't, you can't function, you can't focus on anything, it's all about women. And they go straight into a conversation about the Kobayashi Maru, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Again, it's where to draw the line, because we've talked about the Kobayashi Maru quite a lot in previous episodes, but, but I, I imagine there are people who've just pick and choose their episodes and they come straight to the reboot so we need to talk about it again it's it's hard to to, to, to not look at it as kind of again picking and choosing from the fan stuff and also this comes back to wrath of khan we are based charlie and i base our reaction on it from the wrath of khan what did you guys think of it before we let loose did you have any issues with the kobayashi maru what it's trying to do, the way it's presented. As the non-fans, was it an issue? I like the way he was eating the apple. Becky, <laughs> <laughs> um, you go first. What, what do you think? I'm still trying to see this thing like with the fresh eyes. As I say, it's like a, it's a new timeline for a new audience. Um, I thought, as you know, you guys, obviously, Dave and and Charlie, are probably going to have the most problems with it, if anything. You know, I'm trying to understand. I mean, we, we, we'll talk about it later in the show because we have a question on the whole point of rebooting this. Oh, I'm quite amenable to it and I'm quite amenable to the fact that it's action heavy. And, yeah. and the fact is, uh, the, the Next Generation films weren't fucking genius in their IQ level. So it, it's not that. It, it, 
it's fundamentally... Even, even Patrick Stewart getting his guns out whenever this action happened, you know. What is the Kobayashi... All right, within the context of this film, before me and Charlie launch into it, what do you think the Kobayashi Maru, just in the context of this film, is there to do as a plot point? What's it there for? What's it there to do? Uh, is is they, they, they state it, don't they? So it's meant to like sort of give you like a no-win scenario. How, I don't know how you deal with it. So essentially, it's like a test of... Yeah, like an, an impossible impossible situation, yeah. how you kind of handle it, how you manage your crew. Yeah. It's a, a test of character, I guess. But you, you're talking, are you talking actual... Are you talking in the actual structure of the film, Dave? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 by the way, I do think there is an answer to that. I, I do think that... <laughs> I think it's trying to tell us that he doesn't believe in the no-win scenario, basically because Pike told him not to. Uh, immediately, you've also you've also got the kind of divide between Kirk and Spock, haven't you? Because it's like yeah. He, obviously, yeah, he obviously wins this situation, and he's like, "Well, how did he beat your system?" He's like, "I do not know," and it, or you kind of got that not a slight wedge between them almost. Honestly, and I'm not really giving it, I'm not really giving it much that much thought. Um, but generally, I feel it's just like it's a it's a thing to start Kirk and Spock off on the wrong foot, so they're they're yeah, butting, they're exactly, heads it. straight away. Uh, as well as giving like a, a call back to the Rafa car, you know. Okay, do you see any inconsistency between this? Again, I'm talking to the non-fan yeah. deliberately. So if the answer is no, that's not the wrong answer. I'm just curious how a non-fan views it. Yeah. Do you see any contradiction between the way it's presented here and the way it was presented in the Rafa car? Uh, yes. Uh, that there's a certain level of of like, well, how how much is changed from the different timeline to because the way the way I see it is Kirk is all attitude is a bit of a dick and he is kind of almost kind of like court martial. <laughs> it looks like a court martial. Mm. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it is, it is a bit of a knob in this film, I must say. But you know, but 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 the things so when I when I first, when I first watched it, you know, I just thought oh, it was funny. You know, see seeing him sort of like you know. How how he's just callously chewing on an apple, going like, oh yeah, just blatantly cheated. Um, so, but I, I don't. But thinking about it now, I, it it does kind of add a little bit insult to uh, injury to what the Kobayashi means in terms of Rafa Khan, and you know, and again, uh, again, I just it's hard to kind of think. Okay, well, to separate what the what what difference the different timeline has made but you know but in term but in terms of like an actual idea i think it's a bit why did you why did you do that if you know what i mean so it's it it's more more a case of like i, I just don't think it was it was the wrong idea wrong 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 idea to go with that if that makes sense if that makes any sense it probably doesn't i know what you mean chris it's okay <laughs> no yeah many, many people don't but yeah no i i just i it's, it's, it's a mixture of like, I don't know, it's just do a different take on the Kobayashi Maru where you, you kind of shouldn't have bothered. I think, and Charlie can speak to himself for himself, I think we've got two problems with it. I think we've got a problem with the whole concept of the Kobayashi Maru and what it's there for. And we've got a problem with how they portray Kirk taking it. So for me, in concept, the Kobayashi Maru's character test it's not pass fail well it kind of is because i'm presumably presu presumably you can go in it with such a bad attitude or wrong way of doing it that they can say you are totally not the right material but it's not about there isn't a way to win it it, it is supposedly no win so um klingons turn up and you are there to save 
the crew of the Kobayashi Maru. But because you but you can't because if you drop your shields, you're going to be destroyed and all the rest of it. So for various reasons in this scenario, you can't save people without dying. So either they die or you die or you both die or whatever. Now, what they're trying to see is how you respond to that as a captain, because you might find yourself in a scenario where you seemingly have no way to win. Now, Kirk and this film postulates that it's about beating that. The way to pass the Kobayashi Maru is to save the crew of that ship. Well, if it's programmed that you can't do that, they're not expecting people to go in and do that. So that isn't the goal of the exercise at all. Secondly, Kurt, uh, later on, Spock talked about it being about fear. Well, I know you can suspend disbelief when you're watching a horror film or something, but by and large, you can't be fearful of things you know are fake. Uh, if I was driving a simulator, like a Formula One yeah. car or something in the simulator, I wouldn't be scared what if I crashed, because nothing can happen to me or the car, because it's not real. Um, that's not to say in the moment I won't go, oh, fucking hell, but the fact is it wouldn't scare me. So that doesn't make any sense. It's a character test. It's got nothing to do with fear. The final point from my perspective is Kirk postulates that there is no such thing as a no-win scenario. There are always options. And Pike, or uh, Kirk in the original timeline, I mean, Wrath of Khan Kirk, and Pike in this timeline almost says as much because when Kirk in this timeline says to him about his father, well, he sure learned his lesson when he says he doesn't believe in the no-win scenario. It's like, well, it depends what you mean by winning. You're here. And, and Kirk's attitude is there's no such thing as no win. There's either always a way to win or there are gradations of winning. There are different types of winning. So what he does in sort of writing an essay terms, and I've said this in a previous episode, is he rejects the premises of the question. He says, okay, your premise is there's a no-win scenario. My response to that is there is no such thing, so I've re reprogrammed the test. That is not some fucking wastrel wanker trying <laughs> any old way to beat some test. Because A, the test isn't there to be quote-unquote beaten. And secondly, the original timeline, Kirk, I always get the impression that's a studious response as opposed to a fuck you I, response. I, I, I think, yeah, it is a, it's a bit of a, like... Rebel fuck you response. It is here. It wasn't in the original. Charlie, what do you think? Um, right. <laughs> I think that says it all. Okay. So, first of all, looking at this from the idea of when they sat down and said, okay, we're going to make a new Star Trek. What should we put in it? We've got to pick things. Let's put the Kobayashi Maru in it. And then looking at what the Kobayashi Maru and what that meant in the Wrath of Khan, where the Kobayashi Maru, as we've obviously talked in the Wrath of Khan episode and previously, the whole point of the Kobayashi Maru was to create that scenario as something which would then lead to something much more symbolic, metaphorically, at the end of the film for the emotional climax of Spock dying. The, I never did the Kobayashi Maru, and now what do you think of my solution? Um, now, here you have young Kelvin timeline James T. Kirk, and the way he does it here... One now, small it's... interruption, we accept he's an asshole, to some degree. <laughs> it's a different Kirk. 
It's yeah. not entirely that he's a bit of a dick. But it's not the right format for it. Again, it's even even with even going back to the nature of what he did in in the original timeline, where I reprogrammed the test, the, reprogrammed the simulator, and made it possible for the crew to be rescued. I changed the conditions of the test. It, it sounds like to me, like rather than just sort of like make it like all oh, easy plug and play win, that uh, Kirk just created just a little linchpin, just like a little gap where he could, where he could do, he could actually win rather than just be like, oh well the shields are down, oh well, are they? You know, and just like oh fire ready. Well, well before yeah. before we have before Charlie goes on, right? Yeah. Just for a second. Think of the reaction to the two timelines. In the original timeline, we're told he won a commendation for original thinking. Mm. Mm. Now, is there any scenario where if that Kirk had behaved like this, even if he did exactly the same thing, they'd give him a commendation? For sat there being an arrogant twat and the way he was behaving in that chair, would anyone give you a commendation for that? Yeah. You have just shown fundamental disrespect for the um, process. No, it does come off Sorry, as very Charlie, arrogant. Sorry, Charlie, go on. In that no, no, sorry. Um, I mean, that, 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 that's what I'm talking about, is, is the fact that he is, is, I reprogrammed the simulator. I changed the conditions of the text. Now, again, it's this is the difference between canon and non-canon, where you consider deleted scenes, because in, the delete, in a deleted scene, the girl he was messing around with in his quarters is the same girl. What sh- sh- You see her... Put the program in the simulator yeah, it, room. It flashes up the words "sorry, Kirk," or "sorry, James," or something like that. Or, "Sorry, yeah. Jim," wasn't it? it was "Sorry, Jim." So he he basically it, it infers that he slipped was sleeping with her to make her do that, which I have a massive problem with because that is just not I've, on. I, I know it's a different time, but I I don't ever see the Shatner Kirk as that cynical. No, absolutely not. That is a horrendous thing to do. That, that, was that, then, a, that was, was thinking, scene. Like, even like as you say, like a non-fan. Yeah, I would yeah, never yeah, imagine yeah, the yeah. doing that at all. Yeah, she she goes to work, and presumably she's working on the Kobayashi Maru simulation because they're all cadets and all the rest of it, cadets or teachers. And she plugs something in. It it kind of suggests almost she's like swiping in for the day or checking her mm-hmm. emails or doing whatever. But she puts in whatever key she's got that does that. And immediately it flashes up the the message, sorry, Jim. He signs it, Jim, yeah. sorry. And you get that slight dimming of the lights. And when it comes back up, that that is basically the, the conditions of the test have been changed. And we get a um, we get a cut-down version of that in the final film. Yeah. I mean, because that, that, that's the thing as well, where you don't get the impression that this Kirk was able to do that. You get the impression that he got... He shagged some other girl who was good at programming to do that. I don't. I can see Shatner working on all these books, figuring out how to do these programming things and how to work that properly. I don't see this cut doing that. And then, like, like you said before, the stupid flashing thing to indicate it's happening happens. I just, I again, that just seems really just. A really dumb choice. And That's then, overkill because you're advertising it's been fucking sabotaged. Yeah. yeah. And then he just and he says, would you like us to raise our shields? No. And then he does the whole thing. It's like, 
if you're trying to do this big serious test that is a massive thing that you want to do it you at least want to make it do it understand like you're doing it properly like you're actually taking this at all seriously you're taking it seriously yeah treat it like the exam is i think a point i made in an earlier episode was bear in mind he's in his final year if you, if you if you map, I know it's in the future and we don't have Starfleet, but it's all analogous to things we go through in our ordinary lives, be it A-level years, GCSE years, university, professional qualifications we do. This guy is about to fucking graduate and he sat there behaving like that. It's like, well, that would have either been trained out of him by now or he's fundamentally fucking unsuited to it. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, if, you, if you take any kind of major exam or any qualification with that kind of attitude, then... And it's quasi-military. Imagine the end of military training. Well, exactly. And they that's do it, some exactly. warm games exercise and you've got some twat there going, yeah, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> would, would, like the, would, like, the Air Force take that, you know? Yeah. And exactly, the, yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and the way he speaks to Uhura as well. Yeah, it's um, rude. <laughs> and, uh, um. and, and then... And then the whole thing from it where um, they get more... It's, it's, it seems weird that they do it like a, almost like a surprise trial. But then they get him up there and then they do the Spock thing and Spock is a huge knob and <laughs> goes on about it. Again, because it, it, originally it's a test of... Like, you know, it's a test of character. It's about how the, how the person... How the people react in that situation. It's not about the scenario. It's not about rescuing the ship, like you said. It's about the character and the individual person. But here, your Spock, it's about fear. Why would it be about fear? Why would someone like Spock be acting like that? It's about fear. And then saying... Um, oh, you should know about, about your dad. If it was you, about yeah. fear, would you hire Spock to program it? No. No. A guy who never gives in to his emotions in any way... If he indeed experiences them, we know he does, but that's not the common view of Vulcans from that time. Why would you get him to do it? Yeah, and, and like Becca said, it's just a, it just seems like a completely transparent way to pit Kirk against Spock and then make them the and so they end up as the odd couple. But, that, yeah, like... like when he says, and you are familiar with with the uh, what happened, when he mentions what happens with his dad, and it's yeah, like... You of all people should know. Yeah, and if, if I was Kirk, I was like, yeah, my dad saved everyone on that shit. And, yeah, but again, uh, and, and, let, let's put it to ordinary life. You go into work, I don't know your personal circumstances, Charlie, and it's none of my business, but you've got something like that in your personal life. Something yeah. happened to your father. And you happen to work for the same organisation maybe he did. Mm. A disciplinary, yeah. is it appropriate to fucking reference that? Yeah. In any way, shape or form. And in what disciplinary do you have, like, every fucking cadet in the place watching? Yeah, and why Why is Spock the one doing the discipline or doing the uh, the, the, the prosecuting, as it were? And also, you, I, I can't remember in the scene, but is Pike there? You'd assume Pike would be there. Uh, no, I think he's at he's he's at the end where they're where they're in the same room and they promote him. Oh yeah, when they yeah. No, um, I I find it really really strange because uh, firstly Spock's um, 
sort of a teacher, sort of a cadet, sort of an officer, and we're not quite yeah, sure. Yeah, what is his? I think he's. A, I think he's a trait. I think he's a junior officer training people at Starfleet, but it's not clear. And I just think, well, I, I don't understand the military in terms of court martials and stuff, but I cannot imagine. Uh, and again, this is all thinking about it afterwards. In the moment, it sweeps you up, and I didn't really have a problem with it. But when I think back on it, I'm just thinking, I, I don't understand anything about this disciplinary. I don't understand. I, I apparently, I've got the right to face my accuser. Does that work for any scenario then? So if he'd been accused of sexual assault, He'd have the yeah. right to force the woman to stand opposite him. Yeah, but it, I, know, again, I know it's just a film, but like the if you oh, think no, about right. it for a moment, it falls apart. Yeah, it, it needs to have an internal consistency. And again, where it might, it might be in like in a trial of that consequences, but yeah, I know what you mean, Dave. Like but you go. It depends you, on the situation, really. Yeah. 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 But again, it follows up in the next scene when it's all interrupted because they've got a distress call from Vulcan. And they're all, and Uhura comes up and goes, Oh, I'm on the wrong ship. Put me on the right ship. Okay, yeah, no worries. What? Really? What? Where yeah, is Yeah, that? I, I know Where what you mean. It's like. In any of these. He puts and, her on a different ship just because they're fucking. Yeah. And it's, like, well, it's, it's either within the rules or it's not. Which, which there was no establishment of previously. And how does that, how does that make Uhura look saying, well, I don't want to be on that ship. I don't want to be on that ship, you know. Please, boyfriend, can you, can you, can you, you know, can you sort of bat her eyelashes and you sort of get what she wants? It doesn't really put you her in like, okay, well, you're, that's not a very really good, good character trait, really, is it? I, I didn't think so. Just, again, there's no, there's no process in any of the, in anything in this film because it just wants to get to where it's going as quickly as possible and it wants to distract you as quickly as possible, which is guy why it's covered with lens film and that kind of thing. And the, <laughs> the camera's swooping around and everything's swooping. And um, but for, but everything just kind of starts to starts to crumble when you actually start thinking about it. And it's yeah. and it's annoying because off the back of that is a really really nice scene when they go up and see the uh, you you see the Enterprise for the first time. Yeah, they they um they decided to let it break frame to sort of give an idea of scale. It's much bigger mm. than the original Enterprise. It's more. It's a little bit smaller than the D and E. Uh, in sort of historically, I, I think if you did it in feet, the, the E is nearly 3,000, but this is like 2,200 or something. And the original Enterprise was only about 900. Yeah. But is it so, a prefix or a letter? Or is this, cause it's no, this is, this is the original Enterprise in this timeline. So it's the NCC 1701. It's just built oh. a bit earlier. It's built to different technology, which we're told in the... Not really in the film, but we're told in all the surrounding stuff that they were scanning the Narada, so they 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 got uh, they got some files on future technology. So there, that explains why they're a little bit ahead. The badge, the Starfleet badge, is now the Starfleet badge in tribute to the Kelvin. So that's why they don't all wear different badges like in the original series, and they built it in Iowa in tribute to George Kirk because it was built it was built in some shipyard around Mars or something in the original San Francisco okay um, but it was some, um, yeah uh, yeah the, the, it's really weird but it's it, yeah, they, I, I, they decided to as far as I know they decided to risk to scale it up after the fact because if you look at the shuttles 
when they're going into that shuttle bay, it's a small shuttle bay. So yeah. there's been a lot of controversy amongst nerds out there, um, myself included, because they, <coughs> yeah, because they seem to massively scale it up in terms of what they say, what the official stats are compared to the actual design of the film. No, I, I take your point. It's not overly clear when you do no, watch, yeah. when you see some of the later ships in the series, it's bloody clear they're massive. It's not so much. So he's 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 um, he had to. So Bones had to give him a f- fake disease symptoms to get him on the Enterprise because he was suspended because of the Kobayashi Maru. Yeah, because uh, he was Kirk was giving him puppy dog eyes. Like, oh, I can't go. It's <laughs> amazing. I can't go. Um, but there was oh actually there wasn't there um, oh no no he hears it while he's on the ship doesn't he about the fact that it's a Robian doesn't he so it's not like he's like oh shit no I need to be there to do something Um, yeah I mean it's it's playful I mean I I, I think I think what really helps this film be really entertaining is how it's paced I think it's really really well sort of I guess on with it yeah it's really sort of like uh, it, it doesn't I, I suppose it has to because it doesn't stop and think or anything about anything. And you just kind of like, yeah, all right, okay, and it's it's very fun and and lively. Uh, so the the plot inconsistencies and the things that might annoy Star Trek fans kind of don't linger on. They just kind of right that right next, moving on. Um, and you know, and I, I I think it's pretty much like this for the entire film. Really, it just goes okay. It goes it it, it dots around so. Uh, Kirk's we have basically a comedic scene basically with Kirk getting like massive hands and yeah and, and can't talk you know trying to like get information like trying to warn the the ship about his idea about about, about the Romulans um, and he gets him to the bridge essentially like within minutes yeah um, it, it's a contrivance getting on the sh- him on the ship and it's all right I think it's a little bit of a stretch that he immediately links what happens at the time of his birth to what's going on here. Yeah. And we end up with that action sequence of Vulcan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with um, the red shirt. (laughs) Did red shirts really die that often? Or was that just like a common... Um, When you look at the figures on it, and there have been figures on it, it isn't just red shirts. It's a little bit of a myth. There are yellow shirts that go down, and obviously Scotty wore a red shirt and was fine. Do you know what I mean? But if, if you look at the number of unnamed crew members who went down on missions and died, they are majority um, red shirts. So it became a bit of a cliche yeah. that four people we knew being down with, you know, fucking mm. Lieutenant Nobody in a red shirt and he died. Yeah. Um, but it's a little bit of a cliche. There are plenty of episodes where a yellow shirt or a blue shirt dies. Isn't it a cliche given like the, you know, the <laughs> the oriental guy, a samurai sword? That again is I uh, about that, that's, from yeah. the, that's from the naked time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah but he, a, he was a fencing, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in an episode called The Naked Time, which is badly copied in a first season uh, Next Generation episode, they contract a virus which is a bit like being drunk and they all get a bit off their heads. It's the episode where Data fucks Tasha Yar, for example. Uh, but in the original series, you've got Sulu uh, bare-chested, basically fencing. <laughs> he carries a big sword, doesn't he? Yeah, I think I think <laughs> that's a reference to that. 
Yeah, yeah, that's what that's about. Again, it's kind of. It goes a bit bananas. <laughs> it's like crazy. Yeah. It's not a particularly exciting scene. Um, I quite like the way the sword sort of opens up. I think yeah. Cool. Um, I, I've got again. I, I'm trying to balance yeah. the fact I'm a Trek fan with. I don't mind the fact it's got no action, and again, we will address that question near the end. Well, hang on. So, just can I ask a question? I, I might be forgetting something, but what was the reason why they actually? Um... They can't beam down because of interference. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They can't beam down. But so what? Same reason what, they can't communicate with Starfleet. What? Yeah, they've got it. What's stopping them from just like shooting the, you know, shooting out the drill, you know, like like they do at the end of the film? They just like sort of fire light and cut the. Uh, and, and shoot the drill from from uh, from drilling hole in Vulcan. They just, I can't they, really remember if I'm honest. They just sort of beam um, down and try and do it from there. But like, why why can't you just do it from the starship? <laughs> it's really di- it's really difficult because um, I expect there to be more action. Uh, that's part of the whole thinking mm. of these films. It's how contrived you can can't get away with it being. Um, it's all right. I think it's okay. I think it's reasonably innovatively done. Certainly, as an effect, because he was stood on mirrors mm-hmm. um, with a shaky cam. It was actually done quite low tech. It's all right. I don't have a major problem with it. But again, I keep thinking of Brosnan's Bond, time for an action sequence. <laughs> it's a bit kind of like Tomorrow Never Dies style, isn't it? Kind of like action sequence. And they, and they do it again in, in the next one, don't they, with the, uh, the jump over? Yeah. Yes, they do. It's shit in the next one. <laughs> <laughs> it's done quite. There's a preview for it. Spoiler: Dave's not a fan. <laughs> More incisive than that. Like it. Next week. Surprise! Surprise! Uh, and, and then Spock has to go and. Uh... Uh, yeah, Vulcan. That drill is basically, uh, basically, uh, effectively planting red matter at the planet core to basically cause a black hole that will suck the planet. Oh, what, is this, what is a red matter? I think that's quite, that's quite a generic term. Sexy, quite a, sex, a sexy way to die. <laughs> Alright, don't joke. Uh, <laughs> um, the thing is as well, I just mentioned at this point, there is a prequel comic in four parts to this film called Star Trek Countdown or something like that. And it, That's a long title. Yeah, it, it explains that B4 does effectively become data and he ends up captaining the Enterprise. That ship that you see Spock fly in, this was built by Geordie DeForge. And in the prime timeline in the sort of next-gen nemesis era, what's it called? Romulus gets destroyed. And Spock, uh, Nero knew about this, Spock knew about this, and they were trying everything they could to stop it. When they couldn't stop it, he blamed Spock for that. Um, the baldness and the tattoos that they're wearing are the fact that this clan of Romulans, uh, the thinking is when somebody close to them dies, they adorn their faces with this sort of ink and it fades away as the morning fades away. But they had it tattooed because basically their argument is the morning will never fade. None of that is explained in the film. Um, they don't sort of look like Romulans as, as we know them through, through no, the they're not. Generally, do they? they're no, they're not. And, and also, 
his ship wasn't originally that big. It got bigger and it got board technology and yeah. different things in it that ain't explained in the film. I don't think we're quite sold why Nero, who we haven't even mentioned so far in this show. Yeah, is, I, I, uh, I was just thinking that, yeah. Uh, is yeah, we haven't talked about him yet, but I think, I think, I think it's just a testament to... Uh, I can't pronounce his name, so sorry about that, but um, Eric Rana, he totally unrecognisable. I didn't even realise it was him until, you know, reading his credits as they rolled up in the film. I was like, really? You know. I mean, it's nice to actually see rolling bad guys in the Star Trek film as well, for a change. Well, apart from Nemesis. Well, yeah, apart from Nemesis. Apart from the last film. Apart from yes. the last film that we just saw. <laughs> yeah, but that, that really wasn't like, you know, rolling uh, uh, baddies. That was like bold. That was bold Tom Hardy, Hardy, yeah. Yeah, to be fair, he wasn't actually a Roman. But... Yeah, he Um... You know, no, no, there's so much not explained in this film. The prequel comics actually really useful, and it, and if you read that and watch this, I think it's pretty good. I think it's pretty well written. It explains where Nero's anger anger comes from. It explains how Spock ends up kind of being almost falsely accused of it. There's lots in it that I think is really useful. Um, Kirk, uh, not Kirk Picard, ends up ambassador to Vulcan, I think. He's mm. basically given up the Enterprise to effectively data. It, it's all very interesting, but you can't judge a film by something that's not there. And and it's not there in the film. Next week, we're going to get to an explanation why Khan is a fucking white person, but it's not in the film. <gasps> so it doesn't fucking count. So bollocks. So, yeah, I mean, we've, we've missed the villain of this film. Because, to be fair, we haven't discussed older Spock yet. Spock Prime. Yeah. I think that's what he's called, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Because he's from the Prime timeline. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, stupidly, obviously, I didn't read that, so I just learned that today. So, anyway. So, yeah, uh, so, yeah, so where, where do we go, where do we go from here? Um... So, from there on in, yeah, so, um, so Vulcan's destroyed. He doesn't save his mum, but he saves his dad. Yeah, his mum dies, which is obviously, they've both lost a parent now. And then, yeah. once again, stuff which shows an utter lack of any kind of actual process or whatever. Yeah. And Spock throws him off the ship. To be fair, he he, he is really he, he's told to kind of like leave right. leave the ship, and then he starts fighting. So I think the fact it was it was down to yeah the brig. The these brig. ships have effectively prisons on board. Yeah. What makes it worse is we see one in the next fucking film. Khan is in the brig. The thing is, all all I can see is is they had a problem with finding out how Kirk. They gets need to, to get Kirk Prime. to old Spock. Yeah. So they did it in the stupidest way possible. Because, and the other thing is, if you beam me down, if you like fired me in a rocket down to Earth, I'm bound to bump into you, Chris. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, it, it was just handy the fact that they were like, <laughs> they just just go past that fire. Near, it? I know, I know, it was near a Starfleet outpost, but even then, yeah, it's a bit. Mm, really? And, and, and when, yeah, when you've got someone whose home planet has just been destroyed, there as. Um, giving orders, and are you not going to have anyone else on the entire ship going to say, okay, this cadet, commander, trainer, whoever he is, has just made this really, really stupid order after seeing his home planet blown up, emotions or not. Uh, the um, doctor would relieve him instantly. Exactly. Should should we be allowing this? No, no, we shouldn't be. But again, it's... it's uh, he can have a natter with uh, it, it's almost like when it, whenever these guys and this is a problem with Orsi and Kurtzman firstly they write fucking terrible dialogue and their scripts are rubbish and, and all of the things we've talked about before 
but a, a clear mark of their scripts are whenever they hit a problem, they don't seem to spend any time trying to figure it out. Mm. It's always some kind of fucking contrivance. Figure it out. There's no way Spock in any state of mind would fire him down to it. You might put him in the brig. That that yeah. in itself would be probably wrong in context of the film, but you'd understand it. Yeah. Fire him down to some fucking icy planet. <laughs> and they just happen to be passing a Starfleet, you know, outpost in infinite fucking space. When, when, when there's actual, like, alien-type alien creatures on there that will eat him as well. Like... It's like, well, no problem, he'll find it. It's like, well, the monster from Cloverfield's too fucking fit to me. Again, it, it, it's and, and shit. It's, and they rip off um, Star, Star Wars Episode One. How how badly do you have to be going on where you have to rip off Star Wars with the, uh, you know, where they get attacked by one, one fish, and then there's another fish that eats the bigger fish. Yeah, yeah, that's a bit. And yeah. Again, it's the same thing. It doesn't do anything at all for the film in any way, except to just show off that it's a sci-fi film or whatever. It's just a point the scene, and again, more than any other scene in this film. That is, we'll cram another action sequence in. Yeah, but it's not even as if it's a callback to a previous, you know, Trek Monster or something that we've seen maybe from the TV series. They're so proud of it. So proud of like, oh, it looks real and it's got loads of eyes and it's bollocks. It's teeth have teeth. It's just like what? It's a pointless sequence. It's a fucking pointless sequence to put them together with Kirk. All of that is rushed. Scotty happens to be there. Uh, The mind meld bit is kind of moving in its way because it kind of upsets them both. But again, it's a short way to try to get across to us some of what's in that comic, and not very well. I was very helped by reading that comic, you know. And then you got the transport beaming afterwards, which pisses me off. <laughs> I'm much more easy. I find it easier to ignore in this film than the next one, because it's just all right. They need to find some way to get back on the ship. Let's hope the ship doesn't t- change fucking direction one inch in the time that they were away. Because they beam onto the ship, and it must be based on how far they will have travelled yeah. in the interim. Well, if they if they remotely change their speed or direction, you're beaming into the coldness of space. <laughs> I was like, how how do you know he's even going to survive? Or you know, I can send, I was concerned for his welfare at this point. Somehow. Somehow. And they don't beam into the middle of a deck. There's an episode of Next Generation like that, where there's some strange anomalies and like somebody's like top half is through the floor and the bottom half is... Oh dear. Yeah. You think, it, this is just, I, I don't like this. And it and it does scream writer's strike. But having said that, these writers don't have a very good track record of problem solving. I mean, it's just basically spot just like explaining explain the, the plot, really, for, for a moment. Yeah. And then set up uh, Scotty and then, then get him back on the ship. Exposition corner. Basically, yeah. And then what Kirk... And the whole thing of what Kirk does to Spock. Yeah. What, uh, just basically goad him and goad him till he loses his shit. Yeah. Yeah, which old Spock tells him to do, which is a bit of a leap because Spock <sighs> has never been in that scenario. I know he has in that he saw Vulcan blow up, but he's 150 years old at that point. I, I, I don't to, know, it's to, just kind of, you know, an elicit an emotional response, but it's the way in which he does it. It's like, yeah. there are other routes to that outcome. To be fair, his delivery is pretty good, you know, it's like, you know, I've just seen my home planet, 
I can assure you, like eyes kind of widen a little bit. You know, it's yeah, and no, that's I think, and the, the whole bit where they deal with mind mode and everything as well. I mean, nothing wrong. The performances, uh, yeah, it's all oh, about yeah, kind but... of like it's all about like you know the writing and some of the effects as well, some of the visuals. But I say it was during the strike, but performances. I mean, I was just reading up for the fun facts, um, and it's saying um, Abrams was sort of saying how weird it was directing Nimoy for the scenes. It's like, well, you know, he's been. He should know how to spot quite now <laughs> after doing it for all these years. Sam Mendes said very similar about when he came to Bond that it it's a, was a new experience for him directing people who knew the character much better than him. Exactly. That you normally take on a film and then you, to some degree, this is Sam Mendes' words, uh, or a paraphrase of Sam Mendes anyway, you, you unfold, you, you, you pass on the characters to your actors and explain them and what you want. Very difficult to do that if it's Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, he he just he's been associated with the role for decades and decades. Um, mm. It it just makes, it makes me think about what you were saying before, Dave, about um, in instead of actually coming together and, and kind of solving something, it's just an excuse to have a fight. Yeah, exactly. It's like yeah, there are other ways, kind of. Yeah. He could have illustrated. Illustrate and when he when he starts going about his on his about his mum, it's like it's horrible. And it just seems like it's such a horrible contrivance to get. Kirk back again in the, what this film wants to do is just get get Kirk in the in this in the um, the captain's chair. And again, it it's a little bit. I, I, I I'm not a screenwriter. I don't know how you necessarily how you do it different, but I'm not suggesting that Kirk was enjoying this. But it didn't. The film didn't even remotely sell me that this was difficult for Kirk. No. That, that I'm not an asshole. I don't want to do this. I do feel sorry for him because he's just lost his mother. But this, I am being told by somebody with a hundred years plus more experience than either of us, who's lived some of these things, albeit in a different timeline, is telling me I absolutely have to do this. So I will do it, but I take no pleasure in it. The film communicates none of that. No. Do I get the vibe from the from the film that? It's just a thing he has to do, rather than like. I agree, but where do you get any idea that like it's an unpleasant task that needs to be done? Um, I don't know. It, it's. I agree with you, Dave. Um, but I've, I'm I'm struggling to think of how because there's quite a lot swirling around at that time. Because you yeah, because what because what you do get is when he sits in the chair, he's in that awkward kind of. Right, oh shit, I'm captain now. Uh, so you don't know whether that's a little bit of awkward, like, well, okay, what I've just did was a little bit, I didn't enjoy that, and now I'm in the chair, shit. So you don't, you see, it's it's difficult to really, to how, how to convey that really in, in, in a film. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd struggle to think how, but... Um, I but, think it's but I'd, difficult I'd, in a two-hour yeah. film to do everything. But, I but do again, see point, the, but, the, yeah. they are masters of the structure. If they ain't got enough time to do it, do something else. Um, I, I'm be, I, more than many films I, I've often talked about films being more than the sum of their parts and less than the sum of the parts and all the rest of it this film's more than the sum of its parts I really enjoy it I knew as we went scene to scene I'd say that doesn't make sense I don't like that bit I don't like this bit film still got me I really like it but when you think they're totally in charge of what they're doing here they've written this as a completely original screenplay I don't really understand why they've painted themselves into these corners. And then you end up with people saying, well, they, they wouldn't have had time to do everything. It's like, well, don't try and do everything then. 
you know, so so Spock immediately slinks off, and the whole thing feels like it's taken five minutes from the moment he got kicked off the ship. We've now got Scotty on the ship, and again, as a as a recruitment policy goes, it's fucking brilliant. Yeah, he's he's chief engineer within five minutes. Having <laughs> um, you know, it's like uh, anywhere I visit, I'm just going to claim to be one of the senior staff. <laughs> See how that works. Uh, I'll, I'll pop into like Marks and Spencer's tomorrow and say, by the way, I'm the assistant manager. And they'll just go, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's, um, it, it's like with you, isn't it? It's like, we're, it's like oh, I, uh, you speak Klingon, don't you? Or, or, or Robin or whatever it was. Uh, the, the, the guy the guy in the desk doesn't. You take over. Right, okay. Um, and and like same with McCoy. Like, uh, McCoy uh, the, the chief medical doctor conveniently dies. He goes, okay, well, you're in charge now. It's all just like very quick, quick, quick. Everyone's like, everyone just gets in their in their positions like that. It does. Yeah, it's so rushed and caught in two minds. Because on the one hand, I think, well, that's what we're there for. Do we want to end the? How would people feel if we ended the film with uh, Pike as the captain, Kirk as like an ensign or lieutenant junior grade? You, you know what I mean? I'm not sure how much we'd buy that. We, we, we want them in the positions we know them. Mm. But fucking hell is it rushed. And then I think from this point we go careering towards the final bit of the film, I, don't we? I mean, you, yeah. you, you could have had it. Like, like they, have, they do the thing and you just... And, ra- and rather than, like, have, like, the, the characters through, their, you know, through how the story's told... Uh, at the end of the film, they, it's revealed that they do get their ship and they do get their roles because they've earned it by the end of the film, rather than having like just slide in all the time, all the time into it by by conveniences, really. If you know, if, if you know it, what I mean. It all doesn't. It all doesn't feel right. The one time, ironically, in the first two films, Kirk looks right in the chair is the first time he actually takes command. When he sits in it, then with that moment of mm. "Okay, I'm in command." There's just a moment where it looks right. Every time after that, it looks like a boy sent to do a man's job. Yeah. Which is actually, I remember reading that as a review of, you know when Robbie Williams went through that like swing mu- music phase? Yeah. About 15 years ago. <laughs> and, and he Swing when you're winning, yeah. Yeah, he put out swing when you're winning. And I just remember reading. That was 15 years ago, once. was it? Surely not. Yeah, it was. And I, I was reading the, I was reading, a re- well, I wasn't reading a review, I was reading a newspaper and I came by a review of it, and it gave it like two stars or something. And the the whole review was never send a boy to do a man's job. And that Aww, was it. Poor and I, I, I'm always reminded of that when I watch this. Uh, it's like he, he ain't ready. He, you know, I, I get it. I get what you're trying to do. And I, I'm even happy at a push, and it is a push to accept that like he's going to captain it for like this mission. That like he just grabs it and like fuck it, we'll sort it out later. But at the end of the film, and the writer's argument was, well, he saved Earth. Well, if I if I went to work tomorrow, and I spotted something in their accounts that like wasn't quite right, and it saved them millions, they wouldn't immediately make me chief executive. Yeah, but in in movie world, you do. It's a push, though. Yeah. It is a push. But yeah, we career towards the action at the end of this. We, you know, we're going to get to films later on i was thinking of a few of them today rogue one is is actually one of them because i'm i'm so tired of talking about films where i tune out when it just becomes action 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 it makes me sound like a stick in the mud it makes me sound like i don't get action at all 
And um, it'd be nice to get to something like Rogue One with the second half when it is all actions by far the best bits. Mm. Um, from here on in, I, I've actually enjoyed this film a lot more than it, it's come across. Yeah. I don't like the bridge. I think the bridge is way too fucking bright. It's just, it's you know ridiculous. Again, it's I'm watching quite bright spe- and shiny, isn't it? Well, I'm watching the special features, and they're going, "It's amazing!" And it was amazing to be on the bridge of the Enterprise. And I'm thinking, what about that made you think you were on the bridge of the Enterprise? It doesn't resemble any fucking Enterprise I've ever you seen. You won't see anything with like bright light shining in your it's face. Too also. bright. It it's needs sunglasses. So bright. It, it's just yeah, tone it down a bit. But I've really enjoyed it to this point. But we go careering towards action now, and I couldn't give a shit. <laughs> it's, it's all about getting the balance right, really, isn't it? I think so they have to kind of... rescue Pike, and because yeah. they've all gone to Earth, he's gone to he's done the usual, gone to Earth to uh, to kill everything <laughs> again. Um, yeah, and it's just this uh, again. It's the odd couple thing where where Kirk and Spock have to work together. Um, oh dear. <laughs> Um, well, uh, I think in this film, um, I get really sick of watching Kirk hang off things. Yeah. I mean, it... it yeah, dangling, doesn't he, in jumps this film? Out the, yeah, it's overdone. <laughs> and I just get really sick of it. They beam over and there's a bit of a fight. Okay. A new just, dangling. Oh. At, least, at least someone else gets to do it in the third one, Scotty. Yes, he yeah, does. a bit of dangling as well, didn't he? I, I, I get what you mean, though, about this film. There's, I, I enjoyed it when I watched it, but I'm just... I can't help but pick it apart. Yeah, the, the, there is a lot to pick apart, but the the thing, the, well, the difference maybe with for everything I've just said, it's it's good, it's fun. Yeah, but but we can't keep saying oh it, it but it, it's it's fun, it's zippy um, all the time, can you? Yeah, you, know, well, you can sort of say okay, well, yeah, the, the plot's dumb. So when you're talking about the plot, you're going to be picking apart, picking it apart, and basically describing mm. like like what what, yeah. what assembling is a piece of shit. But you, there, you say there, so many yeah. times, yeah, but it's fun. You, you, you know, you can't really sort of comment any more on that, really. You know, I mean, and they're well, heading off to fight Nero in a minute. Yeah. And we've mentioned Nero about twice in the whole podcast. <laughs> but again, I mean, he's another con, isn't he? What, because he's got a personal connection again and he's yeah. grief over a lost one. And, yeah. I mean, but he's, he's just like a big ball of rage, though, isn't he? You know, you know I mean, like, whenever... J.J. Abrams has said that he regrets it. He thinks that he underused him. He thought Eric Banner was very good in this. He enjoyed working with Eric Banner, and he said, I didn't serve him properly. And well, I, most I, distinct... I... Yeah. Well, well, the most distinctive thing about your character is the fact that his half his ears keeps appearing and disappearing. Then uh, you've got problems. And what is that ship, and where's all the water come from? Yeah. Again, it's, yeah, like the, it's like the Enterprise, and it's the fact that it's got a brewery for an engine room. What? The, I, I don't like that, because I like the old... I mean, when they eject the warp core, it's loads of different bits. Yeah. And, and I like the single warp core. The one thing I will say for it, though, is it gives it scale. When they first come out of the sort of um, shuttlecrafts, when they first go to the Enterprise, and they're walking down the corridors and all the rest of it, it gives it scale. Mm. You're in a big place. So it's not negative. I do. I like the shot where they come, where they kind of go through the rings, the the, the, the Saturn rings. Oh, that's a lovely shot. <coughs> yeah. I mean, the film does look really nice yeah. a lot of the time. Um. Well, when you've not got like light shining in your face from the lens there. 
<laughs> no, I mean, yeah, as they say, it's got a great score, and it, it, that that really helps it along. You know, it's got. I think they've done a yeah, really good job with the new feature. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it is just like I, I, what the, the, I mean. The, the plan is essentially they they be they beam on board. They um, they shoot the they shoot the way to get um, Pike back. Um, Spock gets in that. Um, Little, yeah, in a, jellyfish. Yeah, in a little spotmobile with the uh, <laughs> with the with the red matter um, that causes, yeah, that causes did black a drop holes. Off and yet they're carrying a mm. lot of it. Yeah, which which they're using to destroy the uh, the planet's water. So and they and they essentially fly, um, essentially he flies out and comes back to kind of do a to or, or like sort of like basically sort of crash into him. And mm-hmm. then the Enterprise just she comes in to kind of like give it cover essentially while beaming everyone aboard. Yeah. Um, which is it's a, it's a it's a risky thing, but um, it, I think I think it 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 pays off okay for the film. Um, though what Kirk does afterwards when he's ignited the black hole, they're on board, they've won. They've offered they offer Nero. Okay, mm. your chance to surrender. We'll beam you aboard as prisoners, or you know, and, and he say no, I'd rather down go down with the ship. And they go, and they go like, well, fine. And then he decides to open fire. Why? I do not understand this. Rather than like, okay, well, there's black hole opening. Let's get the fuck out of here. No, they go okay. Well, open fire then. Why? There's a black hole. It's the you know they're fucked. <laughs> you know you 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 you've you've offered you've offered them you've offered them help already. Fine. Okay. Well, we. What, what else are we going to do? Just get the fuck out, you know? This is what I think. The, uh, these writers I, have always struck me as they're either dumb or lazy or some combination of the two because they're either too dumb to spot, a bit like when they cured death in the next one, <laughs> they're either too dumb to spot what they've done or they spot it and go, oh, I don't matter, or I don't know what to do about that. Yeah. And, and that's how it comes across. Now, maybe it isn't, and I, I'm sure... Writing a script is way, way harder than I could possibly imagine. But it just pisses me off because you've got, for such talentless shits, they have got so much more right than they've got wrong in this. For all the problems with the script, they've just, um, they've still produced between them a film that's really great. But it's just, they've got themselves into these weird scenarios several (coughs) times in this film where we need to get Kirk off the script off the ship how do we do that we get spock to behave in a way he would never ever behave you know we need to get scotty on the ship how do we do that we beam them to some indeterminate location and hope it's the right part of the ship and not in the middle of a fucking floor or thousands of miles away yeah. from it not, not only that but just like let's let the um, spot prime old spock just give give him the thing he's supposed to invent <laughs> it's like I, I you know i think that's kind of almost kind of like Something that's never ever been mentioned before. Yeah. Not in Scotty's backstory anyway that I can remember. Yeah. Oh, you're you're famous for doing this. Oh, really? Yeah. Here it is. Is he? Oh. All right. I thought he was famous for like running upstairs badly. (laughs) 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 Knocking down um, doors and shooting a sniper at the last minute. Trampolines in. (laughs) Trampolines in. That's brilliant. It's things like that that stop this being a great film. But in the moment, this is all right. This is a lot of fun, and they're doing pretty well, mm. all of them. Yeah, um, it, it's very kinetic. It keeps moving. 
um, even the whole black hole effect is really well done as an effect. Mm. Although I'm a bit confused because black holes sometimes swallow up the universe and other times give you time travel. Yeah, this is like, oh, okay, another. It, it, it feels like the, the, the cliche of the, uh, of, of the killer getting up one more time. This kind of this one was very light on the scientific details. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of he's, he's them for her own purpose, really. If only Nero knew that if he wanted to go back in time, just had to like you know go around someone's. That's all he needed. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I mean, like, Spock would have known that. He's so simple. He could have <coughs> and waited twenty-five years. He could have had it done instantly. And then he gets back, and Kirk is super captain. Yeah. Yeah. Super captain. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And um, now Pike. let's let's think about this for a minute. Kite Pike. We didn't even mention this. He got uh, take. He got basically forced over to the Narada at the same point where they did their fucking skydive, and he ended up with a very sort of Wrath of Khan like organism put into his body to it, force him it, to it, tell it, the it truth. It was. It was those. Um... Airsoft as well, because there is a deleted scene where they go to uh, the Klingons that, that like, there's a, they explain why where Nero's been, and he's been yeah, he's in a Klingon prison. Yeah, because in the that's the thing in the it, it just it's just the quality control because in the end film, it looks like Nero has been stood fucking staring at a part of space for like twenty five years, which makes no sense at all. And again, it doesn't ruin the film, but it's like, if you wrote that, you're an idiot. But they didn't, funnily enough. It was actually a deleted scene. They were supposed to be in a Klingon prison and they escaped. Uh, there's a there's still a shot from it where Nero's sort of laying down. Yeah. You see a close-up of his face. That's from that prison. But they, as I say, he saved Earth. Brilliant. Uh, Pike is now in a wheelchair. By the next film, I think he's walking with a stick. But it's the damage he took while he was on the Narada. Mm. So they've promoted him to Admiral and put him in a very sort of motion picture Kirk outfit. And they've promoted him direct to Captain. Which is just mental for all the reasons we've talked about before. <laughs> Firstly, the, he's a boy, right? And secondly, just think of it in terms of Earth diplomacy. We'd like you to be our ambassador to fucking Pakistan. You know nothing about the culture. You know nothing about the history. You've got no idea how to behave or talk to them, but away you go. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Ideal um, guy. You do not make this guy captain. By all means. But I like the cut of your jib. <laughs> you know, skip a grade or two. It would have been a push if they said make him a lieutenant commander. That even would have been a push, but I would have gone, fair enough. He's a bridge officer. Yeah. Yeah, they're straight to capture, and it's just like... Yeah, and then they have to deal with it in the next film, and they deal with it really badly by demoting him for about four minutes. Well, the next film is just this one over and over again, isn't it? Nothing's, cool. learned, nothing's learned. They do at least question whether he was ever ready. Yeah. Um, but, I don't think but, they deal with it very well, but... but it's then you've got the audience for four years in front of you... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just like, well, we knew that four fucking years ago. The boy, he's a boy. He's got no experience. And basically, he's proved he's brave. If bravery is the, um, the, the requisite, fucking Worf would have been the youngest admiral in Starfleet. Mm. 
So I, I never liked that very much. Again, in the moment, I was caught up in it. Yeah, it's quite well like, yeah, and then you see Spock and Spock have a heart to heart, and by this time, it's kind of like, okay. But there's one bit I really like because they cut back to uh, Spock. It turns out old Spock's watching this. Yeah. From like the gallery, and he basically leads us into the final scene by saying, you know, thrusters to Max or whatever his yeah. dialogue is. And I noticed it in the cinema. I did notice this on first watch and the special features tell me that was accurate. There's one point in the film where Chris Pine drops his um, Shatner impression. Yeah. He walks in and he goes, Bones! Buckle up. Buckle up. <laughs> That's Shatner. The way he says yeah. Bones when he walks in is Shatner. And I kind of like that. Bones still looks like he's fucking really pissed off to be there. <laughs> and he's on the bridge constantly. So what the fuck is Bones doing sat at fucking, you know, Helm or whatever it is? <laughs> what, 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 what else did, has Bones actually said before? You're out of your Vulcan mind. Has that been, that's been used before, hasn't it? You're out of your Vulcan mind, yes. Yeah, sort of um, he was always that's, a Vulcan. That's Bob. where he says Rafa Khan. That's, that's, oh, that's yes. Oh, of course, Rafa Khan, because yeah. it's the only thing that James yeah, yeah, that, that speech around. Um, Oh, I don't know. Isn't that that speech around uh, we can do it in six minutes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it will be, won't it? No, it's when he goes into the, um, into the, the thing is, are you on your fucking mind? Oh, no, well, when he wants to go in to fix the thing. Yeah. No <laughs> by by kicking it. Yeah. <laughs> by, no, that's, that's next week. We're going <laughs> to see some top engineering. <laughs> yeah. And then, Basically, and then he... <laughs> after you've done your engineering, there's a big fucking boot mark on whatever it is you've just engineered. <laughs> That's how you engineer stuff, that, you know. Yeah, you are your combined. No human could withstand that radiation. Ah, yeah. <laughs> I also find it's funny how like uh, Bones refers to uh, Kirk as like the best guy he's got, even though he's shown very little. Of what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. it's like you know, you, you don't send out your prize tally, and it's like, well, you know. He shows to be a fucking reliability. I mean, he was right about Romans once, fair enough, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah, when he says something about uh, you don't go into the Kentucky Derby or whatever yeah. it is, and he says, no, no, oh, yeah, your analogy's that because you got to like break them in first. And I was yeah. thinking, fuck me. <laughs> Can you imagine that scene in the film? Spot breaking Kirk in. <laughs> Pond fire. Um, um, I, I, here's some fun things about that. <laughs> I'm waiting for a future track film where that happens. What? Really? No, I'm sure we can find some porn. Uh, for, Not today, you're her. I'm going through from far, you know. Not today, I fancy fucking Kirkins. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, uh, no, not that bad. Fair enough, it's all about our taste. Well, I have to say, we'll get to Warp in a minute. There's two things. Firstly, we get Leonard Nimoy doing the oath, apparently. <laughs> It's an oath, Charlie. <laughs> um, the the Starfleet Oath. The Starfleet uh. Oath, where you say these are the voyages, because that's your oath. Um, firstly, it's always stuck out to me because I love the way he delivers the one at the end of the Wrath of Khan. Yeah. But it's all right. Um, but then they go to Warp and we get the original music, and I damn near burst into tears the first time I saw this. Mm. This film got me for all the flaws all the way through it. It really, really got me. It's really inter- It's quite easy to like, despite everything. I mean, like, 
I mean, I, I my first viewing is I just flat out and just enjoyed it, and, and yeah, you know, I, I probably yeah. just got with it. Um, now watching it, you know, knowing a little bit more about Star Trek and taking on board the characters and 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 actually observing how the 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 the, the story unfolds and 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 all the nuances here and there, I just I can pick up part of it quite easily now, and I just think, oh no, that that's a bit wrong, or I'm not sure I like that, or I'm not sure that's right, but. You kind of don't care when you watch it. It's it just it just goes at such it's, a pace. It's the like, first oh. time in weeks this has been fun, though. Yeah. Because every time they've tried to do something fun in recent weeks, it's basically just been mind well, not mindless action, boring action. Yeah. And every time, and quite often they've slipped back on the sort of cliche of Star Trek preaching at us, like insurrection, insurrection did. Mm. So to do something unashamedly fun. Mm isn't necessarily a bad thing we were asked a question on twitter earlier about this um i'm just gonna uh, dig it out a second uh, it was um was it truly necessary to revamp trek from sort thoughtful sci-fi to a shiny bangy action franchise and all i would say personally and i'll let everyone else talk way more than me on this but my only thought is on it star trek nemesis 67 million at the worldwide box office this one, 384. Next week, 467. Yeah. I rest my case. And there was nothing really thoughtful about Star Trek Nemesis in the slightest. Um, mm. at, the end of the, yeah, at the end of the day, you have to see this as a financial issue as well. You have to see, if, if you're putting millions and millions and millions of dollars into these films... You can't just um, pinch the converted. Yeah, you can't, you can't just make stuff that's not going to make money. I mean, if you didn't, if this didn't exist, we probably might not have the new Star Trek series coming out. Um, whenever it's coming out, not not sure it's going to be next year now, is it? But um, it is, it's, it's going to yeah. be around about May two thousand. Okay, so yeah. yeah, so we're not going to have to Star Trek. We, we, well, we, we might do, but I, it, it, it'll make it harder if, if the if the series is dying. The franchise itself is kind of Star struggling. Trek wouldn't have gone away forever. Yeah, it's worth too much. I mean, I, I sometimes talk about Goldeneye being shit or bust. That might have been true in '95 when we're talking about the Bond series, but it wouldn't be now if you had the same scenario because everything gets recycled at some mm. point. But at the same time, Enterprise wasn't that popular. I know it's got its defenders, but again, preaching to the converted, ever fucking shrinking audiences. Uh, Deep Space Nine, as great as it was, uh, quite impenetrable past a certain point. You can't just pick it up. Um, and the films were a mixture of, I mean, even the last film, Nemesis, I go in as a fan, and it's all about Picard and who Picard is. If you've never watched a Star Trek film, it's fucking meaningless to you. You'd understand it, but who gives a shit? The, the series has been preaching to the converted forever, and it's been doing it on tiny budgets. Now, as much as I want them to the, reduce their budgets, because I think they're they make better films with it, they'll never get. I just think they're pitching for an audience they're never going to get. That these three films, this took three hundred eighty-four. Next week, it's about four six seven. Uh, Beyond was in the two hundreds. I mean, it just didn't do that well. So they keep throwing money at it, wanting to be wanting it to be like the Fast franchise or Marvel or something. It's never going to do it. It's Star Trek. But at the same time, they did need to broaden out the audience. Because at the time, Star Trek had the same problem something like Formula One's got now. Formula One fans, it, it's just an ageing demographic because we all got into it in like the 80s or whatever. 
and they do nothing on social media. They do nothing to fucking draw in new fans. They hide it behind a paywall. And eventually its fan base are going to fucking die off. And the same was true of Star Trek. You know, if you're a fan, great. But what is what is inviting children in? What is inviting teenagers in? New fans? There'll always be a few that pick it up, just like in every generation people will pick up Pink Floyd or Led Zeppelin or something. There's always somebody that's going to pick it up. But is it enough to get a franchise going? And if you want two hours where you don't necessarily have the room to do the characterization, you've got to make it a bit more action heavy. And the final point I'd make is if the original films and the next generation films had these sort of budgets, they'd have had more action in them too. So I can totally defend (laughs) it. It's a different beast than it should be on TV. And I prefer TV Trek. I prefer the more thoughtful TV morality prey Trek. But if you're going to put it on the big screen and make it worth people's while to make, you've got to do something a bit more along these lines. Mm. So I, I, I think with full respect to the person asking the question, it's fucking snobbery. Things do um, evolve over time. Next Generation doesn't look like the original series. It doesn't play like the original series. This is just the next iteration. What you're telling us is it's not your Trek. It's not mine either, but I totally defend its existence. I think there's, there's always room for a bit of the intelligence, though. Like, the, the, I think... Oh, it didn't because, need to be this dumb. I'll go yeah. along with that. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, the, you, you can kind of have your cake and eat it. You can have, like, really, like... You can have, like, loads and loads of action scenes look really, really flash, but have some intelligence and and the heart of track and so on and so forth um, behind it. Or you can sort of at least have various different degrees of each film if you know what i mean but since day one i've since day one of this series i've said these are dumber than they should Mm. be i'm not saying when you talk about thoughtful intelligent sci-fi there's room for some of that there's been plenty of films that have taken a lot of money like exception that had a lot of thought behind them but the general speeding up of it action heavy younger cast that comes with the territory i'm afraid yeah, but don't get Orsi and Kurtzman to write it because they're balanced. <laughs> <laughs> so who's writing next week, sir? <laughs> yeah, uh, two young gentlemen called Orsi and Kurtzman and, Lid- Lid- and David Lindelof. Lindelof, yeah. I think we we need something else, something that's kind of that gives us a bit of knowledge, and maybe we well, might maybe think make things a bit more exciting. Naked Blue Peter. <laughs> well, we already got that with the dog. Tennis? I'm not talking monkey about tennis. Monkey tennis, but one of the monkeys is reading John Paul Sartre. <laughs> I don't know. Partridge and Monster Pigeons? I don't know. <laughs> Youth hosteling with Christian Bank. <laughs> so what's what's Janet Ellis doing these days? <laughs> well. <laughs> what's she doing in your mind, Charlie? <laughs> That's what we'd all like to know. Bending over whilst building Tracy Island. <laughs> and just to clarify, I wouldn't really want obviously Spock and Kirk to you know whatever that would be an ultimate have you been universe. thinking about that for the last half an hour <laughs> God, I've implied I want them to shag when I get a moment I'm gonna... that's not what I meant that is not what I meant just just google it you'll find it no I just kind of thought oh is there going to be so obviously with the tension between him and her I thought oh is there going to be some kind of I don't know they're going to bring it up so they're sort of ticking the ticking the um, I nearly, <laughs> nearly did what you did there They've um, ticking the Vulcan boxes. Vulcan boxes. Well, well you've got. Well, like... He went for a human box. Didn't he? No, much. <laughs> is that what his anatomy's like on Vulcan? I don't know. <laughs> it's just a box, you know. Ticking the Vulcan. 
Is that what he does when he needs to relax, ticking well, his whole, fucking box? Whole, you know, green, green blood and everything. Obviously, you mentioned the sort of Colonel sort of you know university sort of thing. Um, Colonel university. Well, you, you know, just. <laughs> well, okay, it's, how, it's... how many sort of things? How many trips can we mention in this film? And so the next thing would be to you know, think that they go through every seven years or whatever it is. I think that'd be okay. funny. That's all. Okay. Let's have some fun facts, shall we? Let's have some fun. <laughs> I'll open with the, the cheery facts. Um, I think this is Majel Barrett's last role as the on-screen computer. Uh, we hear a voice of. Um, oh, so that, that's cheery. She was dying of leukemia. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fun, Ironically. <laughs> She's not cheery, obviously, because it's very sad that she's... We'll start with a cheery fact. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, Terminally ill. She's not very cheery at all, no. Thank no, you. I appreciate that. Death comes to us all. Yeah, and this film was dedicated to her and indeed Jean Roddenberry as well. Uh, fun fact number two, as you mentioned um, earlier, Chris Hunter was Jean originally... You hating this, can't you? Ha- hating this version. <laughs> you rolling around in his grave. What have you done to my beloved series? You bastards. Rolling around, it sounds a bit unsettled. Just <laughs> <laughs> they bought him a more comfortable grave. <laughs> well, it's that turn of phrase, isn't it? You know. Um, yeah, Chris Hemsworth was obviously considered for the role of James T before he became George, um, which would have been quite interesting. Before he became... Oh, I see. I thought you meant the character. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember that happening. <laughs> it was one of the deleted scenes, you know, in the alternate version. Yeah. And they decided to go with, you know, acne scars instead. <laughs> As you know. Um, but no, I, was, I think, obviously, because of other studios having financial issues, um, it actually turned out to be his feature film debut. So I think that's quite interesting. Um, you mentioned Cabin in the Woods. So that wasn't released till like, 2012, 2013 or something? Yeah, that's it, may have been shot. it may well have been shot after this. But yeah, yeah. Might, I know it, there was I a delay it was on sort of time. There was, like, um, Red like Dawn Red as well and things like that, wasn't it? That, that was, was a tradition like... for ages. That, yeah. That, that took forever to come out, didn't it? But, yeah, Eventually. Cabin of Woods, actually, funnily enough, actually came out not long before the the Avengers, so... Yeah, which was really weird. It was like, you know, it was like Weight Watchers, you know, in before and after picture, mm. but in reverse. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit... Because there he was, fairly scrawny, and all of a sudden he's Thor, and it's fucking <laughs> hell. It's like, what? Hello? So anyway, well, I didn't go hello, but <laughs> I did. <laughs> I will now. Now you've suggested it, but not quite like that. And a kind of um, oh, I can't remember his name. J.R. Hartley. Yeah, like that. <laughs> yeah, all these fun facts are kind of mainly courtesy of Dave and his genius brain. So I'm just going to read out what you wrote. Um... All right then. <laughs> Actually, the last, last two are the ones that... Just bollocks I came up with earlier. <laughs> oh, well. No, no, I, I did some research, and yeah, what you did say. Um, yeah, the sort of sound design, sound effects by Ben Burt. They're also better known for... Well, not better known, but also known for Star Wars movies. So that connection. Um, and let's have a look. Another fun fact could be that uh, Will Wheaton recorded um, dialogue for the um, Romulans aboard Nero's ship. Obviously, it's been digitally altered and edited. Um, and... The final fun fact that I have is that this could be the first time that we hear her as first name mentioned on screen. As far as yeah. I'm aware, Charlie, it, you can verify. It may have been in a novelisation. It certainly wasn't mentioned in the original series. No, it wasn't in the animated at all, was it? I think, um, I've got a few, I'm not sure. I think it may have been. It, it's not the first time it was ever mentioned. No, but in terms of the film series, perhaps. Yeah, it would take a more knowledgeable fan than me 
to tell us whether it was in a novelization. Might have had another film. Or not a novelization, a novel. She might have had another name. I don't know. It has been mentioned before, but it certainly, it wasn't ever mentioned whilst she was playing Uhura. Yeah. As far as I remember. So that's my fun fact. Yay. Um, Yeah, speaking of of Ben Burton Star Wars, there is a shot of where you can see R2-D2 make a cameo. Um, I think it's when they uh, when they hit Vulcan and there's all the space debris. It's in the debris. Oh, yeah, you see him in there, don't you? Yeah, and you just see R2 going... I also notice they say punch it as well in this. Like, 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 punch like, it in. Yeah, like punch it. Like, you know, when you do yeah. those warp. Sort of that's, it. Where, that's where Glover's... Uh, Bruce Glover. <laughs> really? He's in this film, is he? <laughs> I, called him, I, called, I called him Bruce Dern a few weeks ago. It's Bruce Glover now. <laughs> so this is this is where uh, Bruce Springsteen <laughs> uh, is so good. In Bruce Forsyth. Yeah. Padgett. <laughs> it's a cuddly toy. Um, this is where he's so good. In the that's good game, good game. This is rather shitty dialogue, actually. Punch it, but the way he delivers it is great. I mean, it, it works. He sells like, everything he says in this film. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very Star Wars dialogue, isn't it? Yeah, but I, yeah, I think Dave's right. He, like, almost, punch he, it, Chewy. he almost makes it sound like Star Trek, though, because he's like a oh, proper. Yeah, yeah. sounds like a proper yeah, captain. Yeah. Crossover. I just, I just wish now there was some. I, I would love if. Alongside Discovery, you had Pike's Enterprise in the prime time yeah. with Bruce, um, Dern, Glover, uh, Springsteen, <laughs> Forsyth, uh, Banner, or <laughs> Greenwood. Any other Bruce's we can think of? Yeah, I would love that. He was so well suited. He was so well suited to yeah. be the captain. Um, I just thought it was great. And again, when you end up with like Pine in the chair at the end, he's, he's just not ready. Right. But he, he's not ready till like beyond, which is like seven years later. The great thing, listeners, is if you if you're listening still, um, if you've put up with this so far, uh, you are moments away from the PS de Resistance because eventually oh, yes. we'll be moving on to the next one. <laughs> the next one. <laughs> Yes, well, hold on, uh, we've, got, we've got to listen to a question, haven't we? With all the lens flare, we will be turning off all the lights. Going. Uh, yeah, we asked. We we answered that one. There was another one that uh, was. It's not actually a question. It's just a point that somebody made the point. JJ Trek is like cheap Mexican food, kind of fun on the moment, but on the way out, your reaction is, "What the hell was that?" Well, first of all, this film series has never burnt my asshole um, <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. And secondly, I've addressed that one. It, it, it isn't. It isn't really my trek. It isn't, but. I, I understand the direction they went in. The devil is in the detail. Uh, I think Chris Pine is almost a miscast at this stage, but he's fine by the time you get to beyond. Um, I do think the ship is too bright, and I think the script writing's a little dumb. But the action-heavy, you know, high-budget, you know, effects fest that this film is, I'm all right with. Um, and to not view it as as real trek, I've got a friend. Just, just, I've got a friend who's a. Uh, a Facebook friend more than anything else. I went to school with him. It's almost when people know better than the creators. Now you can slag off the creators all you like, and you can slag off the end result all you like, but Canon is what they tell us Canon is. And to give you an example, um, David Tennant was the 10th Doctor. I'm not a Doctor Who fan particularly, but then they came up with a 50th um, anniversary where there was the War Doctor, 
So my friend, who's been a Doctor <laughs> Who fan since I've known him, and an absolutely crazy Doctor Who fan, watches Doctor Who virtually every minute of his life, calls him the 11th Doctor now. And it's like, well, he's not, he's the 10th Doctor. And it's like, well, no, he's the 11th Doctor. And I'm like, no, if the, di- if the producers of the show, the showrunners, tell you he's the 10th Doctor, he's the 10th Doctor, you, you don't know better. And the fact is, this is now canon Star Trek, like it or hate it. Yes. You know, it's, mm-hmm. you can always, like, you know, look at Final Frontier if you want to look at where Star Trek, but, you know, I kind of like that film, but... This is this is this is a this is a good film. It belongs on TV, Star Trek, and obviously on TV it wouldn't look anything like this because you wouldn't have the budget. But I don't see this as a fundamental portrayal mm. in as much as if you're going to do modern Star Trek with budgets, this is what it's going to look like. And also, um, most of the characters are mostly right, so it is still Star Trek to me. Um, and like anything else, they get reinvented every few years. Look at the Bond franchise. If you, if you, you know, if instead of the Spy Who Loved Me, you released mm. Casino Royale, everyone would be, "What the fuck is this?" Things change over time. Yeah, where can we all be found on social media then? Fix. So, if you want to abuse me for that answer, I'm on social, <laughs> I'm on social media at the Pasty Kid 1976. Uh, you can find me at Simon Trumps on Twitter, and you can find this website. Uh, this website. You can also find this podcast as well as the other podcasts that uh, I've not been doing, but probably will do at some point uh, at SimonTrumps.co.uk. Uh, you can Join find us me. Join us for our 2019. <laughs> 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 We've done this for a long time, folks. Uh, you can find me at Films of Wax and uh, on my website filmsofwax.thedigitalfix.com If you want to, you can follow us at expectedtalk, facebook.com slash expectedtalk or you can also email us expectedtalk at gmail.com Also, YouTube. <laughs> yes. Which I keep forgetting about. Why do I, why do I forget about YouTube? I don't know. Because you don't watch us on it. Oh, I don't. <laughs> Why would you? <laughs> I prefer to go. Actually, I, I I don't know why, but I do I do snub YouTube. But I prefer to go via Chris's website and listen to it on Cinematronics to Oh, thank you. I just that, you're you're the one visitor then. Oh, yes, yeah, uh, me. I subscribe to YouTube, but it would still be counted on your website because that's where it's pulling the feed from. No, that's it. I do it on Stitcher because whenever I go to Chris's website, it always tries to actually download it. Oh, yeah, you wouldn't want that, would you? No. Oh, like I want to keep this shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's, more, it's more the space issue. But... You can also search for us on iTunes. I, I listen to my podcasts on the um, podcast app on my phone, uh, so I just stream it all from there. So basically four of us all listen to it via different... It's almost like it's a marketing <laughs> exercise. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, it's guaranteed four listeners. Yeah. We should have had a really contrived conversation about that, shouldn't we? <laughs> I like to listen to it on you, iTunes. What about you, Chris? <laughs> Not me. The, the I, thing, I didn't even name the YouTube app I have, so, which is a <laughs> podcast addict. That's I, I, I only my podcast on. when I'm in the mood for some stunning visuals. <laughs> 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 but, but if you listen on YouTube, you do get it early because uh, Dave does post them before I do. So there you are. Actually, I post them with a predated. I post them like Tuesday, Wednesday, whenever yeah. it is. I've like we have edited them. But then I get to about Friday and I go, oh, fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) Becca, sign up so that our listeners can get straight to the next fucking masterpiece. (laughs) What's next? Do you expect us to talk who will return with Star Trek Into Darkness?